You're listening to Power Athlete Radio, a podcast dedicated to empowering your performance every damn day. Join former NFL pro and Power Athlete founder John Wellborn as he dissects the greatest minds in strength, conditioning, and more. So whether your goal is to be the hammer, destroy mediocrity, or simply move the dirt, you've come to the right place. Now with the warm-up done, let the gains begin. Hey, Power Athlete Nation. I have a cool podcast in store for you today. We have Mr. Justin LaPree. Justin is founder of Heroic Path to Light. And here in Austin, Dripping Springs, it's a sacred medicinal church, kind of interesting legality we'll get into, where he's created his own church that has to do with taking people on these heroic journeys using plant-based medicine and psychedelics. So turns out Justin is a neighbor of mine. We got connected through Dr. Parsley, and he is a former U.S. Uh, Marine veteran, fought in the war in Fallujah, uh, became a firefighter here in Austin, and now is an advocate for mental health for veterans and first responders, and is helping cure depression and just adding existence and light and just trying to take people on a journey of discovery. So I'm stoked to have him come on down and sit in the podcast room and dig into a little bit of what he's doing. As you guys might not know, I'm not extremely well-versed in this, but I'm fascinated by it. And more importantly, anything that improves human connection and performance and just allows us to be better versions of ourselves. Mr. Justin LaPree, the sanctuary. No, it's called heroic path to light, heroic path to light. That doesn't sound cultish or anything. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Heroic path to light. Yeah, that's right. Uh, it's, it's not a, is it a cult? It is not a cult. It's for, uh, it's all, it's, it's for veterans, first responders, gold star widows, because we've lived this heroic path, Mm -hmm. right? But we're in the darkness. Okay. Um, so, uh, Came to me. Are you are you into psychedelics at all? Do you uh, know much about them? We've done a long series of podcasts on them. Oh, cool! Um, you okay. know, uh, not only here on Power Athlete Radio, yep. but I also was with Doc on the Everyday Warrior podcast. Awesome! And we had Dan okay. Angle on. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So cool. I uh, just through so that pod- yeah through that podcast I've been <clears throat> yeah like yeah so shelled so, with this stuff. So really, what I'm doing is I'm treating trauma um, with psychedelics uh, with a spiritual context. Um, and then the civilian program is going to be called Illuminated Hearts. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah, we'll get into it. Well, um, you know, uh, <clears throat> I was reading the bio on your website. Uh, like, let's, like I'm, I'm fascinated by origin stories. I mean, what you're trying to do sounds a little cultish, but I understand what you're trying to do in terms of like making it similar to like a religion or a church. I'm sure there's some legal ramifications associated with it. Yeah, there are. I mean, we're, you know, we're protected if you look at the first amendment to the constitution, um, there's specific language for, uh, people from this country to be able to practice their religious or spiritual practice without, um, any interruption from the state or federal governments. Um, in 1993, there was additional language from the religious freedom and restoration act that, uh, really started to lay out individuals, um, freedom to practice whatever religion uh, they wanted to follow. And then the state of Texas has additional language uh, that further protects people from the state of Texas to practice their religion. So, well, I mean, really the base of our constitution is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's correct. To me is you have the right to live your life the way that you want unabated by somebody else. 
and your definition of happiness needs to be executed. That's correct. And it was really, it was really interesting. There's a, um, you know, I grew up in the Catholic church. Uh, Me too. And I went to private CCD. CCD. Yeah. I went yeah. to private school. I grew up, at, I grew up in Katy. Um, oh, so you're native to Texas. I'm native to Texas. And I was in, I was, I spent 11 years in private schools. Um, I went to public school my senior year. My parents were going through a divorce, but I never felt connect connected to God at all. I just, you know, I had my faith. Um, I was a little rebellious in my teenage years. I was trying to figure out who I was. I didn't have a good home life. Dad was super abusive. Um, and you know, you, you do all the things you say, all the Hail Marys, you say the, our fathers, you're supposed to be, you know, forgiven, start your week fresh and, uh, didn't really feel any sort of connection. Uh, you're not alone. Um, yeah, I, for sure. you know, we grew up Catholic as well and mm-hmm. going to church and, and I always remember, you know, they'd get up there and the, the hymn books and eat this and like, we never even touched a Bible. Right. So they would quote Bible verses and this, and I realized I hadn't read the Bible until I actually went to college years right. later and realized that the Catholic church was designed to like, Hey, we're going to give you the version that we want. Mm-hmm. And uh, then also the disingenuous nature. They're like talking about like, you know, Jesus washed the feet of the poor and this, and like, you know, we're talking about giving and you know, the, uh, the collection plate passes around, but yet the guy's standing up there in this gold and ornated deal and he's constantly <coughs> asking for money. And then you turn on and the Vatican has uh, endless riches. It just felt very disingenuous. It's like, um, you know, recently they had a deal when, before the queen passed away where she was up there talking about helping the poor and she's up there with something like a $26 billion diamond on her crown. Uh, like at some point you look at it and you think this entire thing is disingenuous and it feels like a little bit, you know, dirty to some extent. My big break with the Catholic church came when, you know, they started hiding priests that had hurt children and they knowingly and willingly, uh, you know, concealed this and had a massive conspiracy um, that they saw, they knew what was going on, were complicit in it, and then did their best to hide these people and move them around, change names, and do all this. And I'm like, how can we give money to people that we know willingly hurt children? And that was my deal with the Catholic Church. I'm like, fucking over. Mm-hmm. So, and you, you, you know, you look at these master, you know, these uh, master churches uh, that are around. You look at Joel Osteen out of Houston. It's I mean, fucking scary. He bought the summit where yeah. the Rockets played. And he, he has a helicopter <laughs> that he flies around because he doesn't want to get around. He doesn't want to get stuck in Houston well, traffic. I mean, his guest house <laughs> is bigger than any house that I've ever seen. Right. So, you know, it's just, I know. always go back to, it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of the needle than a rich man to go to heaven. That's right. Uh, like, and I, uh, like how much do they help people? I know there's a lot of old windows sending them a lot of money and you know, I don't follow it, but I see the opulence and, uh, it reminds me, um, God, do you remember that commercial where uh, it showed like the Russian mafia gangsters and he came over with like the little camel and he's like, opulence, I has it. I don't. And it's just like the most ridiculous shit. If you, I'll have Jacob play the clip. But it's uh, uh, it's like this Russian gangster is like, opulence, I has it. And uh, dude, it just looks like Russian mafia gangster shit that they're just, you know, robbing old ladies and buying sure. gold with it. You know, and, and so to kind of get back to your question, I... Um, you know, I when I when I got back from the Battle of Fallujah in 2005, I came home from war an atheist. Like I, God didn't exist where I was. Um, because if He did, how could He let this happen? 100. Yeah. percent It was horrible. Um, and I didn't I didn't believe in my faith was completely gone. I didn't believe in God. Um, and I was I was I was really strong in that belief system. 
um, until 2018. Um, and I'm kind of jumping around a little bit, but, uh, after a suicide attempt, uh, in, in the parking lot of my fire station, I, uh, read a book, how to change your mind, um, by Michael Pollan. I followed that book with the immortality key from Brian Mareshku. Uh, highly suggest both of those books. Okay. Um, and Brian Mareshku goes into the deep Vatican, uh, archives and gets access to, um, ancient text and uh, travels around the world, um, looking at remnants of chalices and, you know, studying these compounds and, uh, they, they show psychedelic compounds, um, you know, dating back, um, you know, thousands and thousands of years ago. Um, ergot being in chalices, which is the main compound in LSD. So they had psychedelic wine back then. And then they, they have shown that the original Eucharist was mushrooms. It wasn't a wafer. It wasn't bread, uh, which really opens up the idea that, you know, Jesus and people in the Bible were, um, having these mystical experiences. I always think Moses in the burning bush. I'm like, right. he, he was totally high on something. Well, I mean, it if, makes sense. If you read the story from those lenses and, and, and especially all like the creation myths, um, it does make sense. It, Actually, does. It, it makes a lot more sense now to me <laughs> yeah. than it did when I was in CCD. Yeah. We interrupt this episode with a shameless self promotion. Power athlete delivers battle tested performance programming for every kind of athlete. So do you want to go from average Joe to MVP? Then dominate with Field Strong. Get stacked and jacked with Jack Street. Hustle in life and still build muscle with Grindstone. Fear no opponent with Dragon Slayer. Be harder than coffin nails with Hammer. Max out minimal equipment with Lean Enable. Or unlock those newbie gains with Bedrock. Get over to powerathletehq.com forward slash training and choose your seven-day free trial right here, right now. Get lifting, get training, get in shape all while listening to the rest of this show. Well, uh, but, but there were, you know, the, uh, the other issue I ran into, especially, um, you know, I grew up, uh, my dad was an attorney, so we were always very analytical in terms of like mm -hmm. analyzing everything. And my dad was, you know, trained us from the time we were little to be attorneys. And that was the path I was on before I decided to detour and play in the NFL. But, uh, like there was just a lot of questions I had and like, there was never any open space to ask a question or like, Hey, like, what does this mean? And it was always this, like, you have to believe this and this and this. And like, it was almost like predictive programming in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, and then through, right. through repetition to when we go to church, I know it was four stands, three sits, two kneels. We got the, you know, uh, communion. And then we just walk out the back door and I could be in, in like 45 minutes. So you'd listen to the homily, you go through it. And I knew it'd be like four stands, three sits, two kneels. Mm -hmm. We got to go. And, um, it just felt like, you know, then all of a sudden you're like every Sunday you go. And then if we weren't total assholes in the pew, then my mom would take us uh, to McDonald's mm -hmm. and we'd get like a, uh, what is it, like the muffin with like the, sh uh, like the, <laughs> the, uh, the sausage in it and like a, a hash brown deal. But like, it just was what we did every Sunday morning at seven thirty. That's right. And like, there was never any reflection or this, and there was never anybody contributing. It was just always this like push, 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 push. And then when you ask a question, uh, I remember the one about, uh, um, them telling us about masturbation. It was a sin to even touch yourself. And, I'm, and then I'm like, so what about when I go to the bathroom? You know? And then it was like, don't ask questions, you know? And they were thought I was being a smart ass and wanted to throw me out. I'm like, well, like you guys are, 
saying I can't touch my equipment mm-hmm. and I'm going to go to hell. And I just remember leaving there thinking, all right, so everything I do is going to send me to hell. But then it resets every Sunday when I ask for forgiveness. It just felt like, well, what if I can't ask for forgiveness and I die in a car wreck? And these questions were, and I know we're deviating off a tangent, but like as a young kid, right? like, so wait a minute, timing is what allows me to go to heaven? This episode of Power Athlete Radio is powered by Train Heroic, the most immersive strength training app experience on the market. We've built an online training business by partnering with Train Heroic to deliver all of our world-class training programs like Jack Street, Hammer, Field Strong, and Grindstone. To learn which Power Athlete training program best suits your goals, head to powerathletehq.com training. And if you're a coach looking to build a business with the best training tech in the business, head to trainheroic.com slash powerathletehq. And now back to the show. Right. You know, it just, it felt really weird. Well, you look at the similarities of government and organized religion, they don't appreciate free thinkers, right? It's the, it's the dogma that you need to follow. It's the dogma that you need to believe in. Um, and organized religion puts fear into people and through fear, they can get them to act a certain way. Right. And so, um, my belief now uh, is that heaven and hell is not an actual place that we go to, but it's actually a state of being currently in our present, right? If you're full of hate and despair and you don't have love in your heart, to me, that's hell, right? And if you have love in your heart, you want to help people, you want to be a good human, uh, be a good being, uh, that's heaven to me. Um, you know, but I, I, I look at it, how it's been explained to me, And by saying, well, if you don't follow these rules, if you don't play by the game, then you're going to go to hell and we're going to burn forever. Right. And, and, you know, I've come a long way in, you know, my belief systems have completely transformed on, you know, being brought up in the, in the Catholic church to being an atheist to having this realization to my belief now is that we're spiritual beings having a human experience and not human beings having a spiritual experience. It's very powerful uh, for, for me um, to, to realize that eternity is forever and that we, we, this isn't for a lot of people here on this earth. Our first time, experiencing something right and and i know that's that's not going to be uh welcomed by everybody and that's okay it's just something that i i believe in um and that's you know i i I believe you know faith is the lack of knowledge so what do you have a faith in so i have a belief in so i so i have a faith so I have a sense of knowing, right? So my faith has changed into knowing for me. So was that the, the journey with like ayahuasca began in these it kind was of the, plant-based it, was, it was really the journey. So I've had mystical experiences with mushrooms. Um, now it does take for me a larger dose to have that mystical type of experience to where your ego death, where you, what kind of dose are we talking about? So my first ever dose in 2018 um, post, well, well, um, sorry, like, uh, we'll give a little context. So yep. you were in the military, uh, batter Fallujah, come home, depression, 
that whole thing. And then from that point in, in 2006 through 2018, like, yeah, so I'll, I'll kind of run through that quickly. So okay. I, I joined the Marines in 2001, um, invaded Iraq in 2003, and then the Battle of Fallujah in 2004, got out in 2005, um, moved up to New York, was homeless for about a year, went to the VA system, and I was on 13 different medications. Mm. One of those that had a, a strong grip on me was Oxycontin. Mm. This is in the early 2000s yeah. where they were just pushing oxys left and right. Uh, you forget I played the NFL. Right. Uh, I have um, painkillers destroyed a lot of my friends. That's right. And one of my best friends, Cal Turley, um, completely warped his brain. I mean, in his 30s, yep. was di- diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's. Wow. So, but he kind of went a different route. He, he believed marijuana, or still does. Sure. Uh, uh, you know, cannabis is the mm-hmm. answer to all this. Um, I don't. I'm not convinced of the cannabis deal. I just think it's numbing the pain for everything else. Whereas some of the psychedelic stuff, I mean, when um, I, I admit I didn't have a great understanding of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then when we when I went on those podcasts and we've had several others with other people that have had similar experiences where they've done something life changing. Then also hearing Doc's work with the SEAL Foundation with Ibogaine and what mm-hmm. they did with uh, um, you know seals that were you know, uh, on drugs and this, I mean, suicidal, all these had nowhere else to turn. And this was their last door to open. And it works. Yeah. And hundred percent. And it wasn't just like multiple treatments. It was like they were fucked up. They woke up the next day and they were fine and their entire lives were changed. So when something is, I'm sure it's like uh, supplements, right? Um, uh, people like, Hey, I took this supplement. How do you feel? You're like, uh, I don't know. Maybe I feel better. Maybe I was stronger. And then you like take it and then you don't. It's just this kind of like, uh, I don't know. But when you have something where it's like, I, I laid down, I did something, and my entire being was changed the next moment I, I remember consciousness. That, to me, is worth exploring and now, listening to. You're, you're not wrong. You know, for me, um, you know, it got to a point, um, you know, I had all this trauma. I came home with a traumatic brain injury, um, plus every single uh, diagnosis that you could receive. And, you know, the, the pharmaceuticals were just keeping all of that suppressed. Do, do you think it was uh, a function of war of what you saw? Or do you think these were underlying conditions that you maybe had through, through childhood growing up? They were definitely, fuel was put on the fire. Um, brain injuries were absolutely from war. Um, other underlying conditions that I had absolutely rooted from my childhood. I didn't know it at the time. Uh, But then you go through war and then you completely keep suppressing, suppressing, suppressing Um, those wounds grow bigger. Uh, But yes, it all starts is it all started as a child. Um, I was molested at five. I just, I just, um, I just realized that this past year in an Iboga ceremony. Um, And I had done a lot of work up to this point. Um, And that was, is, is uh, Ibogaine different than Iboga? Ibogaine is an alkaloid. Uh, from Iboga. Iboga is the actual shrub from Africa. Okay. Um, so, you know, it's really interesting how these med- these medicines work. And so um, I became a firefighter in 2017 for the city of Austin. I worked at two of the busiest stations. We had a serial bomber, if you remember, uh, that was delivering FedEx packages that yeah. were exploding. Yeah. We were the first on scene for those. Oh. Mass shootings uh, down on 6th Street. And I, I realized... Um, just how much this affected me because I used to think that I was desensitized. I, I was made for this. I was, you know, I was, I, I've seen death before I can see it again, but for this time it was innocent people dying and it rocked my world. Uh, I, I started to, to drink, 
heavily suppress. We didn't feel safe to talk about our feelings, machismo bullshit. And um, I started going through a divorce in 2018. And um, lawyers weaponized uh, the the children. Um, They said I was a threat because I had PTSD. And um, I lost my kids for a while. And I spiraled. My kids were my lifeline. And um, I walked out to my truck on Veterans Day of 2018, put my loaded SIG in my mouth, pulled the trigger, and it didn't, it didn't fire. Uh, and I was confused. I, I vomited, vomited all over my lap. I was, anxiety at, was at a peak. And I dropped the magazine. It was empty. And I racked back the chamber. It was empty. And so somebody on my engine or truck, somebody at my station had seen me spiral, knew I carried that weapon. That was my service weapon in the Marines. Uh, knew I carried that weapon, knew it was always loaded and unloaded it. And me not thinking anybody would touch my shit. Yeah. Um, went out there to kill myself with a letter to Stella and Leo uh, next to me. Now the gift of a second chance. How powerful is that? Um, I don't know who that was that intervened. Oh uh, shit. Really? No, nobody ever came forward. I, I, I've talked to everybody on my crew and nobody has yet come forward. Ooh, so goosebumps. You got, you got this, you got this fucking angel. Uh, sitting out I, there yeah, no, I, I got a uh, goosebumps all over me. It's incredible. And yeah. I mean, I'm very, I'm very close with a lot of people on my crew and um, nobody owned up to it too. Not they, yet. Not yet. And I think that's the best. It's, 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 it's the probably, most beautiful, yeah, it's yeah. the most beautiful gift you can give somebody and is and to I, do something for them and not, Tell them Correct. and not want anything in yeah. return. Right? Well, it's very rare that people do things like that without expecting something. Amen. You know, and because of that, it it it. I mean, we can get into the fact that my daughter gets to have me walk her down the aisle, and my my six year old boy gets to you know hit a baseball with me. But then you look into what happened since then. So, <clears throat> a month later, within that month, um, so November December, I read a book, How to Change Your Mind. Mm-hmm. I didn't know where to find mushrooms. I was a straight lace fireman. Um, you know, I, I didn't know anything about, you know, the research was just starting to uh, be looked at. Johns Hopkins University was doing a lot at the time. Sure. And uh, I, I spoke to a, a buddy of mine who owned a, who owned a bar out in Lakeway. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, hey, man, uh, as you know, I tried to, you know, take my own life. Uh, I read a book. And I'm trying to source some mushrooms. Um, can you help me out? He's like, dude, I got a guy. Uh, so <laughs> I, of got course, a guy. I, I got a guy. guy. I got a guy. I got a guy. His name was Jacob Boone. Um, Jacob Boone killed himself from suicide um, this past January, uh, which is which has been hard for me to d- digest because he was a catalyst in my healing. Gave me an ounce of mushrooms. <clears throat> and I had done enough research at this point on what Johns Hopkins was doing. Um, I downloaded their playlist. I bought a really nice sleep mask and bought some nice noise canceling headphones. And I, I put a camera in the corner of my apartment and I took three and a half grams and I closed my eyes and I, I came to about six hours later. Hmm. Um, and for the first time I cried and I, for the first time I had love for myself and appreciation for myself, something that I had never felt in my conscious memory. And it got me really curious. And I, so I started to work with these, with this, this medicine twice a month. And I would stair step half a gram each time. Um, my most therapeutic dose before I get into like the dissolution of ego was six grams. 
Um, I've gone as far as nine grams to where my ego completely um, died and I had a mystical experience. Uh, but really where things started to come, the most powerful psychedelic medicine that I have worked with to date is a compound by the name of 5-MeO-DMT from the Sonoran Desert Toad. They yeah, call it Bufo. I heard uh, Joe Rogan talk about it, where literally you smoke it and it's like there's all these different dimensions and all of a sudden you realize we're living in one dimension and there's other people in other dimensions. I listened to a podcast with him on it about it and was like, that's not probably the thing you try first. It's not. And I don't, I will not, I will not serve that to anybody first. Uh, it can be, you know, as, as healing as these medicines are, um, they can also be terrifying. They can also be destabilizing. So you really need to make sure that you have the appropriate foundation to support this type of work for yourself. And that comes with preparation and, and post ceremony integration. Uh, I, uh, get into that. I mean, um, you know, kind of, a my brother is a criminal defense attorney in, in Orange County. He had a client that was a 17 year old kid, uh, first round baseball player, um, went schizophrenic, came back with a baseball bat, killed his dad, killed like the TV repairman with a baseball bat. And, uh, when they went in and my brother got appointed on this case cause it was kind of big, um, when they did all the psych evals, the kid had been smoking a ton of marijuana from the age of 12 and they diagnosed him with schizophrenia. And there was some pretty solid research about, uh, you know, the brain being exposed to the, that level of cannabis. It can pull all these things out. And then they talked about, you know, cannabis, most of the studies when they see it are later in life, you know, people in their thirties and forties after the brain's already kind of hardened, let's say, uh, did not have similar effects. But I wonder with the psychedelics, if you already have that kind of pre-existing condition, do you see this kind of unraveling things a little bit? Man, that's a great question. <clears throat> not, I'm definitely not the person to ask or answer that question. Um, but yes, I would, I would, I would say that psychedelics aren't going to be for everybody. Um, I think there, there, there needs to be, um, my education is key as you know, cause people are going to use these by themselves. Sure. Right. Just like they drink by themselves. Um, and there needs to be education around harm reduction and, um, different disorders, uh, that, um, should be looked further into before, um, sitting with these medicines uh, because we we're not really sure how somebody is going to react yet. I mean, uh, you can look at different disorder. I mean, different disorder. People are also misdiagnosed, right? Where they could truly have complex PTS and that is showing itself as bipolar. Mm. Right. So I do think that, um, you know, people really do need to look under the lens um, and make sure that they are a good fit for this type of therapy. Um, now, as, as you know, we're, we're learning as we go, sure. our country. I mean, the indigenous people have been using this for five, 6,000 years. Sure. Um, they're doing, this is part of their culture because we have been so far removed from this. Now we have, and they've been scheduled in the creation of the war on drugs in sure. 1970. 
Well, that was, well, I mean, we've already lost the war on drugs. Right, um, I, right, right. I had a strength coach that was a DEA agent. Yeah. And he's like, imagine losing every single game 99 to 1 every right. year. And he's like, we've lost the war. And he, he ended up getting out of it and becoming a strength coach. But he's like, we've lost the war. He goes, the only people, he goes, but you have to remember, we are losing. The government and the cartels are making money hand over fist. So, and, uh, you know, it's like the same thing. My dad, my dad, um, like I said, was a criminal defense attorney in LA for like 55 years. He, uh, told me, he's like, I remember the day that crack cocaine hit the streets. Mm. He goes, I, he goes, I, you know, Compton, all these kind of like inner city stuff. He goes, we're all fairly decent white neighborhoods in the forties and the fifties. And then all of a sudden in the sixties, you know, things started kind of going. He goes, I remember when crack cocaine hit in the eighties. He goes, it was like, I went. Uh, and like everything was fairly normal. And like two weeks later we were like inundated with all these murders and all this crazy stuff. And he goes, I, you know, that stuff was, he always said, he goes, you know, I've never seen a, a gangster from Compton in Columbia. Right. So that stuff. And we've since learned that the CIA ended up bringing cocaine into inner cities and crack was all manufactured. I mean, so the story is pretty accurate that he said I saw. So, and I mean, look at systemic racism. I mean, it's like, what, what truly is the difference between crack cocaine and cocaine? And well, one's a hell of a lot more addictive, right? But, uh, you know, so they found the cheapest, most addictive one to do it. But I mean, at the end of the day, like, uh, um, if you look at two globally, the U S is the largest consumer of all of these drugs. So, uh, like, is it, uh, you know, I, I have everything and my life's still fucking hollow and empty. I mean, you look at like alcohol consumption, you look at like what's happening with cannabis, I mean, cocaine, I mean, all these things. I mean, we are the largest consumer of 33, what, 330 million people, largest consumer around the and world. And what's the biggest drug of all time? Sugar. Yeah, sugar. Or you look at- Sugar's uh, in everything. I, I, um, I spoke a couple, or over a year ago, I spoke at a conference on national security that was up mm -hmm. at, uh, um, for the army at the, uh, the war college in Pennsylvania. Oh, beautiful. And one of the- uh, the guys that was in my group, um, a really cool, I need to get him on the podcast actually it reminds me. Uh, he's an Indian doctor, you know, mm -hmm. uh, dot not feather. Uh, and he has a research, um, deal at Brandeis and he's pretty, pretty big. Anything that involves health outside the United States for the U S he's kind of the, the focal point on. And as we were sitting there, my contribution was the largest threat to national security was the lack of physical readiness of 16 to 18 year olds in this country. Right. And then also 26 to 45 year olds who would technically be the militia, you know, the second amendment, you know, uh, thou shall not be infringed in the idea of calling out a militia like those 26 to 45 year olds are really, if like all of a sudden somebody came across because we've worked at the national guard and they're only good at loading sandbags, but, and it's really, it's the U S veterans in this country, guys like you, where all of a sudden, like there's an invasion across the border. It's a whole bunch of dudes driving F one fifties or F two fifties with a blue stripe on the back right. and, you know, continue to train in this. And, you know, those are the individuals that are going to get called in the militia. I mean, you remember when the big flood in Houston happened? That's right. It was like uh, bass boats and mm -hmm. lifted pickup trucks driving down there to save people. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's like. And I really do, you know, to, you, you bring up a great point because um, what's happening now with the psychedelic renaissance um, and the veteran, uh, I mean, it's the veteran population that is pushing this down the field, right? Because we're the only group in, in America that has bipartisan support, yeah. right? When all well, of these in this country, if you shit on veterans, you don't correct. get it, it's true. That's I mean, correct. I've always said you can't send somebody to war. That's right, and not take care of them when they go home. Well, or, I mean, well, well, you, I mean, which which the government does not do. No, 
And, and that's what I've always said. It's the largest right. travesty. If you're going to ask young men to go out and kill on your behalf, that's right. When they come home, you have to take care of your broken toys. You're not you can't supposed just send to them come, off to a that, fucking island. That you're not supposed to come home, right? But the advan- the advancements of life saving technology is keeping more people alive now. So people with a gunshot wound in in world wars bleed out. Right now, you look at them. They, I mean, they're they're fine. They're walking around with a purple heart, some DV plates, and you know, you you look at all of these <laughs> these. I mean, people are are losing limbs, and they're. I mean, they have badass prosthetics, yeah. and they're, they're they're in the Olympics. Yeah. I mean, these people would have died back then, and so, yeah. Yeah. you know, the government. You know, uh, that's why the VA system is so so bad, is because they they've they never had a solid framework to begin with. And now next thing, you know, more and more people are living coming home and there's, there's just, I don't know how to fix the problem. Well, it's also government bureaucracy. I mean, 100% anytime the government gets involved in anything, it becomes a clusterfuck and a mess. Uh, the only way you deal with stuff is to privatize it. But you know, we tried that with the prisons in California and then they changed the laws to make, you know, Oh, you have an ounce of weed. You're going to jail for 10 years because they needed pit. Well, so before the war on drugs and the changes of all the laws in California, they were thinking of getting, a, um, basically getting rid of prisons and they were going to do everything out, you know, kind of outpatient out this just because they had so few people in prison. All of a sudden, Richard Nixon, the war, uh, the war on drugs happens and all of a sudden they make all this stuff. Now, now we can't build them fast enough and they're all privately run, you know, the, everything from socks and cots and this, it's all privately run. And the amount of money that the prison industry puts into lobbying, well, I mean, shit, they can't fucking change these laws. I mean, that's why they were fighting so hard for the cannabis thing. Exactly. You know, and, uh, uh, I, to this day, um, and I, I can't say, uh, um, I don't drink alcohol cause I do, I'm not a big drinker, but I do drink wine and on occasion on mm-hmm. vacation, we're going to have margaritas. I mean, shit, who doesn't want that? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm a very like, uh, maybe one or two drinks, maybe a week. And then I might not go a month without drinking. It's not a big deal. Now coffee, I would definitely give up alcohol between the two. I like to drink coffee. Um, but if you take a look at that, I mean, look how many people die from alcohol related instances and not only health in this, I mean, uh, like the amount of stuff that they were giving us in the NFL. And I, I was not a painkiller guy by any means. Uh, for some reason, the pain just didn't affect me the same way. Whereas other guys were chewing 14, 15. I mean, I saw a podcast with uh, Kurt Angle chewing 55 Vicodins a day. Like, uh, and then they're like, oh, they demonize wow. marijuana. I'm like, ah, I'm not a marijuana fan. I don't think it's going to save the world, but I'd much rather have a guy have that access than 55 Vicodins a day, which we know cause all these problems. Absolutely. And I, you know, I, I think just to kind of finish up my thought on the veterans, what's happening right now in this country is we, we've been so desperate to try to save our own lives. And we've been, because we had to figure out that nobody was going to do it for us, that we had to do it ourselves. And just think how powerful this country is going to become when you have a country filled with well veterans instead of unwell, instead of disabled, right? Most veterans I know are able, right? But they, they, uh, the country has kept them under this, this in the shadow of being disabled, this label, right? If we can all become well, I believe that in the future, it's going to be time for the veterans to fight for this country on American soil. Mm. And I, I, I don't see that as some sort of, 
Oh, I, I am completely in agree. I mean, right. the, uh, uh, you know, whether, you know, if you look at the constitution, you know, def, you know, you, the, the oath you guys took is defend the constitution against all foreign invaders, both <clears throat> foreign and domestic. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was what my entire piece was, was the lack of physical readiness of kids, 16, 18, who are military age. And then also the lack of physical readiness for adults, you know, what's 26 say, to 45, 26 to 45. Right. So, I mean, things like, uh, I thought CrossFit was extremely helpful mm -hmm. lifting weights. I mean, yep. you know, the fact that equipment is more ready with rogue, um, you know, uh, we provide training programs, um, power athlete with thousands of people following mm -hmm. them, um, you know, methodologies that are much better. I mean, so there's, uh, I think, you know, I mean, and it's great now that a bunch of dudes over 40 do jujitsu. Yeah, so absolutely. I mean, you know, people are taking their fight stuff. I mean, people are training, but there's a whole lot of other people that fucking aren't who are stuck on phones that are doing doom scrolling. They're asleep. All day. Yeah. And they are not doing anything for physical readiness. And they're not preparing because all of a sudden. Well, they'll die first. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, and as my buddy says, uh, they're going to die first. And that's where my next meal is going to be. It's going to be at their house. That's right. We're going to take the resources. Yeah. And uh, that's a scary fucking thing. <laughs> that is. Um, but it's also, uh, you know, the world we live in. That's so, right. I mean, you know, and when you say it like five years ago or 10 years ago, when you said that people thought you were a wacko. Now, all of a sudden you say it and people are like, this guy's pretty fucking sharp. People are starting to wake up. You know, they've, they've seen what happened with COVID. They've seen what happens, you know, what happened with the government, uh, what's currently happening in the government. We see what's happening on the state level. People are starting to wake up. They're coming out of this slumber. And, and, or you never went to sleep at all. Well, um, the COVID thing was really fascinating <clears throat> to me. Um, I was amazed. Like, so every movie that I've ever watched that was kind of dystopian, you're always rooting for, like, the resistance. I mean, we're watching Red Dawn and we're rooting for those guys. You know, you're watching V for Vendetta and you're, you, Vendetta. you know, one of my favorites. Yes. Uh, you're rooting for V. I mean, so every, Absolutely. every, dis every movie that we've ever watched, I mean, Top Gun, you're rooting for Tom Cruise in this. You're That's always right. rooting for the hero and even the anti-hero who's mm -hmm. usually fighting against some global conspiracy. I mean, look at all the Tom Cruise, uh, MI6 movies. There's always some super villain with some virus and this. Jason Bourne. Jason right. Bourne. Yep. You're always rooting for these people. That's right. But then all of a sudden, it happens to us. And now all of a sudden, everybody was trusting the government and a bunch of stuff that we knew wasn't true. And we did a whole bunch of podcasts and we probably lost a bunch of followers in this. And they're like, ah. But at the end of the day, like, this was some fucking bullshit. And people were willing to jump on and literally send their friends call the police and this and like it blew my mind i'm like this is like the plot of every mi6 uh you know mission impossible movie you know this terrorist releases a virus and people and people were like totally on board believing what these not this nonsense was uh and not to say COVID didn't kill people but like you know the vaccines and this i mean it just like it for me just me basically having a somewhat analytical approach i'm like this doesn't make a lot of sense to me and people were blindly following. You have to trust the science even when the science was broken. Fucking crazy to me. It, uh, it opened my eyes to like how you don't want to be in a foxhole with 99% of these people. Amen. Sheeple. I mean, even my own family. I mean, my, I didn't see my mom for a couple of years uh, since we were unvaccinated. Uh, didn't want to be around us. Didn't want to, you know, she didn't come out of the house. You, you, it's really sad, the destruction of families, relationships, careers, you know, during COVID. People um, died and they didn't let them go to their funerals. 100%. Yeah. I mean, yeah. people died alone in hospital beds. That's right. Yeah. It's uh, fucking awful, man. This is a, um, it's an awful black mark in the history. And then, you know, people like, I also, 
go between these two deals. It's easier to believe that there's some amazing global conspiracy with this nefarious dude in a mountain lair, you know, planning and pulling all this. Or the reality is it's just a lot of incredibly incompetent people making decisions in real time to cover their own ass and to benefit themselves. And it's fucking everybody else like, oh, hey, I heard this comes out. I'm going to buy this stock now. If we do this, we're going to kind of make this. So I think at the end of the day, it just comes down to a whole bunch of people that are trying to cover their ass that are totally incompetent and have no idea what they're doing and just over there fucking freeballing it. I agree. Yeah, just freestyling and trying to come up with shit. That's right. And uh, that's actually more scary than that there's some, you know, Klaus Schwab, you know, nefarious dude in a mountain lair pulling these strings and making this happen, which I don't think fucking happens. That's right. You know, but then you get in, uh, anytime you kind of go into this now, all of a sudden you're like Illuminati and like the, you know, the Masonic order. And I'm like, dude, it's, I think it's just a whole bunch of incompetent people trying to do their best to make as much money as they can. Agreed. You know, I mean, look at the drug companies. Mm-hmm. Are they nefariously trying to kill us or are they just putting out drugs that they know we're going to be super dependent on? And That's it. And it's easier for the doc, <clears throat> like, um, you know, statins, for example, I deal with a ton of consults and a lot of guys over 40 that go to the doctor and they might have a slightly high cholesterol and the doctors go oh, high cholesterol. You're going to need statins. Why? Show me where, you know, high cholesterol with low triglycerides and a guy that exercises slightly elevated necessitates this medication. And, um, like, I'm always like, Hey dude, do, do what your doctor says. But I would also do my research and realize that there's more side effects than some high cholesterol that I don't want on these things, mm-hmm. you know, and they end up feeling worse. So it's, um, but you know, they've made a, a massive, 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 uh, Leviathan of a business out of these high cholesterol drugs, which we know, you know, aren't necessarily effective in reducing what they're looking to reduce. Agreed. So, but on the plant-based medicine, um, I'm fascinated on all the different types. So like, I'm a total layman. Like I don't, I mean, uh, just novice, but like, you know, obviously, uh, it feels like psilocybin and the various different types is really the first stop on that train. Yeah. I'm, you know, it's, it's definitely, you know, one of the oldest, uh, medicines that's been around. Um, is there a history on it? Like, um, I mean, how many, like I, I listened to, uh, was it Terrence McKenna? Right. With his stoned ape theory. Uh, where he's like the only way that we would have evolved from, you know, primates. It's a great theory. Would have, you know, like the amount of, what was it? Um, uh, like myelination and the different pathways in this and reprogramming the brain. The only thing we've ever seen that does something like this is psilocybin. psilocybin. It is. It is. It is a fascinating theory and uh, makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, being able to, being able to come out on the other side of a traumatic brain injury, have childhood memories again, you know, build neuropathways. pathways. I've seen alcoholics become sober, um, with mushrooms. It's fascinating to me. I mean, it is, it is a, it is a very safe medicine. You can't OD on it. Mm. It's a very safe medicine. Um, so is, um, I, I re- in prepping for this, it was about f- anything over five grams was kind of the heroic dose. Heroic dose. Terrence McKenna yeah. uh, came up with that, that measurement. I, I do agree. I, I, um, although there's different strains that are, have higher, uh, potency of psilocybin. Um, but yes, that once you, once you start getting in above five grams, um, you know, strap in. So what, uh, like, what do you do? I mean, like, are you, do you need somebody there to make sure that you're like a little kid that doesn't fucking yeah, fuck themselves so, up? Yeah. So, so, um, yes. Uh, in, in short, yes. When I, when I was, when I was in desperation mode, I was doing this by myself. Um, I'm, I'm not, um, advocating for that. I'm not advocating for that. That's yeah. not the right way to do it. I just didn't trust anybody and I didn't want to get fired. 
<laughs> right? Yeah. So, so for me, that's the only way that I could do it back then. But um, yes, I do advocate for having a, um, a somebody to hold space for you, somebody to make sure that uh, you're okay, right? That we can't promise anybody safety, but we can manage risk. And having somebody there that's sober, that is not in the medicine, um, is the right way to do that. Um, and just to, just to help support you so you feel safe, so you're not in your subconscious realizing that you're by yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yes, I, I, would, I would say always have somebody there. Um, <clears throat> and that really starts to create that container. If you need to, if you need a hand to hold, if you're going through a very challenging experience, not doing it by yourself is, is so appreciated in these times of vulnerability. Now mushrooms that I would, I would consider mushrooms the safest psychedelic that, that we can, that we can uh, take. Even at that five grams and plus, even at that five grams. Yeah. You you know, the more, the, the, the higher the dose uh, the, uh, deeper you're going to go, mm-hmm. uh, the, uh, depending on your trauma levels, more is going to be exposed, the more challenging of the experience. Um, and then as you get higher, you can start playing around with, you know, John being pulled away from yourself and, uh, then having a mystical experience to where you don't exist anymore in that present time. Mm. Um, but then having somebody to that, this is where preparation comes in and preparation and integration are really the same thing. One's just pre, um, ceremony, mm-hmm. uh, and then, then one's post what uh, happens in the pre-ceremony. So I can, I can speak from the lens of what we do okay. uh, with heroic path to light, which is our, um, ancient medicine sanctuary. Um, here in, in Dripping Springs, it's here. Yeah, it's it's here in Dripping Springs. Um, well, we're yeah, we're in. This is B Cave. B Cave. Kind of, yeah, yeah, Dripping is. But yeah, it's in it's in Dripping Springs. It's a you know long term temporary facility until we can build out our he- healing center. Um, but I've I've I was really focused on you know this this encircling support system for people. Um, when they were going through these experiences, because I was seeing people leave the country for these for-profit retreat centers, going to work with people that aren't American, that don't speak the language, and um, they didn't have any sort of preparation or integration support. So they'd, you know, they they leave New York City. They're like, I need help, or I want to go, you know, see what this is all about. Because I I heard a podcast with Tim Ferriss, yeah, and uh, I'm going to go down. Uh, to South America, I'm going to sit with ayahuasca and then boom, I'm back in Manhattan. So many things wrong with that. Uh, and, and it's really not setting you up for any sort of success, regardless if you think there's trauma or not, these medicines are brilliant. I mean, they're technologies. I will, I will, I will state that these are technologies are really good at digging up things that are hidden in the subconscious. Mm. Um, you know, carving out in your psyche, the root of why you are the way you are. And, uh, and, and some of this trauma could not even be yours. It could be inter, you know, intergenerational traumas, yeah. right. That are passed down. Right. So body, you know, body keeps the score is a great book. Yeah. Um, 
And so, so just a, a piece on that. Um, when my wife, uh, I have twin girls. Uh-huh. And so after we had twins, uh, my wife got, you know, obviously breastfeeding was pretty hard. And I mean, she's feeding both of them. It like just fucking sucked her life force out. Sure. And, uh, cause my wife's actually, um, she's like, I'm going to exclusively breastfeed these twins for six months. And like, wow. Yeah. My wife's a crazy person, uh, in a great way. And she just was focused on doing this. And I just saw her like life force just dwindling and dwindling. So a doctor or a friend of ours was like, Hey, there's this pretty interesting, like healer guy that you guys should go see. And, uh, I'm always up. Like if somebody recommends somebody, I'm like, let's do it. So we drove to Malibu when visited this guy and he really got into this like past traumas and cool. like, you know, it was like 27 generations and went through all this stuff. I thought it was pretty hokey. Mm-hmm. Uh, she ended up getting better, um, you know, and felt better and what he, whatever he was doing was seemed to work. But he got into this whole thing of like, you know, uh, the trauma of your grandmother, because technically, you know, the egg in you is your grandmother or is your mother. And then you're inside of her kind of this like, right. you know, there's the pieces of you are still in these people. Mm-hmm. And uh, that those traumas basically get extended over time mm-hmm. and they just kind of live in the tissues. And it's really the first time I've heard it because, you know, we think we're such... Um, I guess you could say isolated beings. Like I'm born and here I am, even though I have these connections, do I really have these connections? And that was the first time I really heard it and was like, I don't know if I buy into it, but I'm also not arrogant enough to think that I know everything and to think that, right. you know, I mean, there's validity to this to some extent, but it it's was really great the first to have time an I heard open it. mind. That's what I, I encourage people to do. I invite them to just have an open mind about this stuff because, you know, for, for me, I was very closed minded. Until it changed my life. What what was the catalyst? I mean, obviously you said like, you know, I had like, you know, put the gun in, pulled the trigger, nothing happened. I vomited. But like what at that moment did you think like, like how did, I mean, obviously I was reading the books, but what spurred the books? So I wanted to see if there was something else out there that could rewire my brain. If, if I could actually truly heal, get off of all my pharmaceuticals. Uh, I haven't taken a pharmaceutical uh, since 2018. Congratulations. Um, and that first, that first ceremony with mushrooms, the one thing that I came out of the, the, like the immediately, I didn't want to die. And so in the, in that period of time from my failed suicide attempt to that first ceremony, I still wanted to die, mm-hmm. but I was willing to give myself a second chance to see if this would work. I was, I was, I was intrigued enough to say, okay, I truly don't want to leave my kids. However, I don't want to feel pain anymore. I don't want to feel like I'm just waiting to die. I want to live. And if I'm going to live, I'm intrigued enough to see if I can get there through the use of psychedelic medicines. And it worked. And it worked like it's, it's, it's hard for me to remember who I was <clears throat> because I've come such you know full circle um, it's, 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 it's really hard for me to, you know, think about what I was feeling when I was sitting in that truck back on veterans day in 2018, because I have that I have gone through this incredibly transformative experience to where I'm not even the same. I'm not even a remnant of the same person. And the only thing that I have done is started to use psychedelic medicines and to build my own community. That's the only thing that's changed. My diet hasn't changed. My workout regimen hasn't changed. The only thing that has changed is I got off all my, all my pills 
and I started to work with, me- with, with these ancient medicines. Uh, I've never met, and I can't say uh, I know everybody, but all the people that I know that got on these like myriad of all these different psych- or um, psychotropic drugs right. and this, and anytime he'd kind of space out, and I, I know this from Cal Turley, he would go when he started to fucking space out a little right. bit, and they'd be like, we just have to adjust your meds. He was in this constant, we just have to find the perfect combination. So we're going to do this and this. And they kept adding. Next thing you know, he's like on 17 different drugs. And, uh, you know, he has like these in, like incredible like suicide thoughts. He's driving just to steer into traffic. And Horrible. like, you know, he's just like everywhere he goes, he's just, you know, this constant, you know, deal of uh, suicide. And, uh, you know, uh, and then it's like, you know, go out in a blaze of glory, you know, this. And he's like, the fuck is saying all this? Right. And, you know, cannabis ended up saving him and he felt better with the cannabis but i remember telling him i'm like i just think you're just doing it and um even though it's helping you I, I think there's more than just cannabis i mean his thing was like cannabis will save everything i'm like i think it's probably a combination of all these things you're you, so you bring up a good point um and this kind of goes into the integration so um to to talk about um real quick and then i'll kind of go into our program but um the the psychedelic medicine is just a catalyst. It's not panacea. You're not going to take the pill. You're not going to eat the fungi. You're not going to drink the brew and never have a less than great day again. It's not going to cure all your traumas. It's not going to uh, make you forget every bad thing that's ever happened to you or every person that's ever wronged you. It's going to just change your perspective. Right. And it the biggest thing that that these medicines did for me is allowed me to see my traumas from a different lens to realize that they were just part of my story. They didn't define who I am. Mm -hmm. That was huge for me. That was huge. And it, it allowed me to see my father's trauma and being able to forgive my father for beating me was a very powerful moment for me because I hated him. There's very, been very few people that I hated and I hated my father for a long time. And um, I love my father. And it was through working on myself, working through, because the only way around your trauma is through it. So I had to go and relive all of these experiences again, you know, my first mushroom experience, I had to relive all the firefights I was in in Fallujah. Mm. But for the first time I was able to feel the fear, feel the anxiety, feel the adrenaline to where when I'm in it, there was no feeling. It was just suppress. We got to go. Right. So, you know, being able to, to have love in my heart for my father, to see, his traumas, see how he was raised was a, was, was this like aha moment for me. And so, you know, I tell people, um, if you don't, if you're not willing to do the work, if you're not willing to, you know, prepare for this experience and integrate this into your life, you're going to come back to me thinking that you need the experience again, Mm. but you have to make new changes. You have to create new habits in your life that are going to serve you in this new chapter. And because yesterday is already done, right? We can't turn back time tomorrow. We have no idea what, what's going to happen. So the only, and this is really where these medicines have really changed my life is the ability 
of being present in the now. It's the only thing that matters, right? It's like, I can't go rewind time and try to, you know, go back to when I wronged somebody, right? Now I can go ask for forgiveness and I can have awareness of making sure I don't do that again. And tomorrow, like, and, and being a visionary might trust me, this is, they call it a practice for a reason, but I'm always, you know, I'm, I too am looking in the future, right? Especially with what I'm doing right now, but these medicines allow you to be present. And if you can ground yourself in today, this is the only thing that we have control over. Sure. Right. And so, um, I've, I found that when people were leaving this country, uh, you know, to, to work with these medicines, um, because outside of a sanctuary, there's, they're scheduled in most States. Sure. And on a federal level, they are scheduled. Um, people weren't doing the, the, the preparation or having proper integration from these experiences. Why, um, why were these drugs put into such a, a, a an intense schedule? I mean, they're, they're all schedule ones. I, I like. I, I mean, what my thought is. Yeah, no, I mean, I, you know, like I can understand, uh, <laughs> like, like, hair, like black tar heroin and some of these other things. Right. Like, uh, like, dude, there's that's some gnarly shit. Like, um, you know, crack in these. I mean, I, I get even though we've won, like, like I understand the, like, the fact that marijuana is a schedule one is insane. I mean, I've, I've never. I, like my, my favorite joke is no kid has a memory of their dad smoking some weed and coming home and beating the shit out of him. Like you're talking about your dad beating you. People have a lot of stories about alcoholic fathers and coming home. And you know, like I've heard that over numerous times. I mean, dude maybe goes and smokes some cannabis and comes home and plays video games and probably eats his kid's cereal. Maybe, maybe he's a better father. Maybe he's more connected. He sits in colors with his kids. So I, like, I can't, un- I've never understood, you know, now I kind of see, um, I don't know if you know what's going on with all like California and and Colorado in terms of the cannabis trade, but like it's, you know, it's gotten pretty, you know, just like anything it's going to, you know, it's going to go down to the common denominator and the way they're doing it and the money and the under, you know, and the fact that there's a huge black market in this. I mean, it's, it's not as, uh, what you could say, like angelic and as, as it, as it could be because it's so heavily regulated, they've effectively kind of created all these different markets and whatever. But to say that, you know, heroin and uh, methamphetamine and some of these gnarly things are in the same schedule with marijuana. Like that just seems crazy to me. And then all of a sudden with these, you know, like psilocybin and whatnot, it just feels like, Hey, we're going to make all these illegal. Just throw all that shit in there and see what happens. But, but then you have methamphetamine in a pill form that treats ADHD yeah. and it's legal. Yeah. This is what I'm talking about. The yeah. system is corrupt, right? I mean, this, the, this, and the yeah Adderall here, and um, um, Adderall and Ridlin. That, well, correct. Yeah, I and mean, so yeah. you, for me, it's it's I believe God to be nature. Yeah, right. Wasn't there um, wasn't there a movie Stigmata where the guy? You know what I? Uh, like, do you, do you remember where the Catholic Church is hunting that guy because the message was that like the the true scripture of Jesus was like don't, I would need to watch this. Again. Don't I remember it? Don't find me within the walls. Like like I'm right. you know my church is with the birds and in nature and this and they were like fighting against it because it basically like like this teaching of Jesus taught like that the church and organized religion was like the antithesis of what he wanted. So I always go back to that. I mean, like, um, you know, we're really lucky. This is Little Barton Creek right here. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have 1,400 foot, and there's a natural waterfall, and there's a um, dam on the other side that the old man built. And uh, cruising around in this creek on, like, a Saturday morning and, like, listening to the birds and going through it, like, I try to do it at least once a week just to, like, kind of decompress. Welcome to heaven. Yeah. 
and you just, you know, you walk around, you get to hear all the stuff. I mean, the wind rustles and like, there's all these different, mm-hmm. uh, you know, different species of trees and it's the coolest thing ever. And, uh, I always think, I mean, it, it's neat doing it. Just, you know, taking my kids on nature walks. I can't imagine if you set up a little place and, you know, took a five grams of mushrooms and just hung out there, which anything that I've ever read, the people that do that stuff in nature have dramatically a better experience than people that don't. So I believe that there's some form of connection with all these psychedelics with nature because we are connected. Yeah. We are nature. Right. And so if, if, if God is nature, um, we scheduled God, right? We scheduled these compounds. Well, the government did, um, on the controlled substance act of 1970. I think it's my belief. Government didn't want, want free thinkers. There's no money in well, and they couldn't figure out how to monetize. Yeah. They figured that compounds that grow from the ground. Well, or they can figure out how to make them synthetic with the same effect. Or that, or yeah, the, the, it, it you don't think theory. that the drug companies are taking psilocybin and trying 100%. to trying to figure out how to synthesize something? They've already, yeah, they've already done it. Yeah, right. They've already they're using synthesized molecules in these clinical trials. Oh wow! Um, so they're using synthesized psilocybin. They're using synthesized mescaline. Yeah, it's all synthesized because they need uh, to know that everybody in this test population has the same amount of of. Uh, of uh, the psychedelic compound. So, you know, there's, so yes, I, you know, um, I think there was a few different reasons as to why these end up, ended up on the schedule one, because it takes, I mean, look at, look at Rick Doblin and what he has done for the last 30 years. I mean, it's taken him 30 years and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars to bring MDMA back to the market yeah. as a legal, as a legal compound. And I can tell you, I, I work with MDMA with my wife currently every month and a half, two months, just like, Hey, we're going to sit on the couch. We're going to dose and we're going to, we're going to talk and listen to each other. Mm. It's been incredible. And this is really how, this is how MDMA was originally created was for couples therapy. Oh, was it really? And it's fine. And you know, it got, it, we, we had people that in the eighties, of course, were using this in the rave and the club scene, mm-hmm. but you didn't see a bunch of people fighting each other in the clubs. People were hugging, dancing. Uh, I used to. So I, I, yeah. I went to Berkeley, okay. um, which is, is, is hilarious because I, uh, I had a terrible experience, um, just a peripherally experience with a roommate who was uh, just a huge marijuana smoker. And he was the biggest fucking waste of space. Uh, all he did was rip bong hits, eat um, cookie dough out of like like the, the tubes. Yeah. And he'd watch two movies. He, he, he had Back to School with Rodney Dangerfield and he had Top Gun. So I would wake up, I'd go to class, you know, we're playing football and I was living in the dorms freshman year as my roommate. I get up, we go eat, I come back, I get on my bike and go to class. He would sit down and start wow. smoking and I would know how baked he was and where he was in the day based on where he was in the movies. So then I'd get home, go eat lunch, come back and he'd still be sitting there. And I just, so to this day, I still know Top Gun and uh, back to school, like, like front to back. Like I know those movies are memorized because he watched them every single day. And if he started early, he just kept watching them on repeat. He might watch back to school three times in a row. Did he graduate? Fuck. <laughs> I don't know. What happened to this man? Uh, he was a, 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 one of like the top recruits, offensive linemen. Wow. Um, came in and played as a freshman. And then pr- progressively just got worse over the course of time. And I don't even know if he was on our team come senior year. Hmm. 
Um, but I just had such a negative experience sure. of like viewing this. That's fair. That I just stayed away from it. I think the first time I ever, uh, really the only time I ever spoke to was when we were in Amsterdam. I was over there mm-hmm. doing some commentating for NFL Europe. We went to this coffee shop and I realized for me, marijuana is effectively a light switch. One hit and I was asleep. So like uh, it did uh, like all these people, uh, nothing, just light switch. And I'm like, I don't need help sleeping. But, um, uh, so having this view of it was this kind of like dirty, sure. hippie, lazy. Because that was your it, reference to it. Well, yeah, and I was in Berkeley. So right. like it was all these, you know, uh, hairy toad, uh, you know, Birkenstock, like just like people I would never consider to be, you know, I had them in my classes and this and it's just, it was the part of the culture. So I, I definitely had this like dirty, hippie, Berkeley mm-hmm. uh, mentality for, for marijuana. And then, yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> yeah, so... <laughs> So that's kind of like the, uh, but you know, and then they just lump all the other psychedelics in with it. Yeah. It's, um, you know, there's a ton of stigma, you know, around these compounds, but that's starting to change. And it's been the, the resurgence of these compounds with, cause there's one thing that you can't argue about is data. Yeah. Right. The research is out there. Right. And more of these podcasts are happening. More documentaries are coming up. Um, It's really it's really powerful what's happening. Unfortunately, um, you know, they're they're running these clinical trials around mental health disorders. Um, I don't believe that you have to have a disorder to work with these. Mm -hmm. I don't feel that you have to, you know, to. Oh, I need to just I need to have have clinically diagnosed treatment resistant depression, which means I don't quote me. You have had to have tried three different medications and had failures on those. Like who has that much time when they're trying to die, right? To, to get to work with mushrooms in a, in a quote unquote legal setting outside of a sanctuary. And so this is where I saw an incredible need for healing this country in this country, healing America in America. Like this is our birthright. This is as much of a birthright for us as it, it is, as it is for the populations in South America. What, uh, what psychedelic drug is native to America? Like, I mean, you're saying ayahuasca comes from like the rainforest and the Ibogaine comes from Africa. And that's correct. So, I mean, there's, there's mushrooms here. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, so I, there, I, I read, um, God, was it? Uh, I read a Massillian um, book. I've been fascinated. I listened to podcast with uh, Paul Stamets, mm-hmm. and it was or it was a lecture he did, and I bought the books, and because I'm fascinated by Massillian, so I Very started much. planting. Uh, I got a bunch of spores, yes. and I've been planting them all in the creek. Awesome. Because, not because I want to have a bunch of psychedelics, like, but what I want is it's I, the network. Yeah, it's the network, and they were talking about like the Massillian healing the bees. Correct. So I figured if I want to increase the yeah. health of my creek, love it. Uh, I, I got Love all it. these different spores Love it. and, uh, I, I, when the weather, uh, when it gets a little bit colder, I, I got some logs. I'm going to do some other ones like, um, uh, the lion's mane and all those. Yeah. I'm going to see if I can grow them all. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, the, the Creek I have, they communicate very similar to us. Like we, we, Dude, when we we're done with this, we're not that far. Well, yeah. When, when we're done with this, I'm going to walk <laughs> awesome. you down there and I'm going to show it to you and you're going to be like, holy shit, dude, this, if this yep. entire thing was covered in mushrooms, right. cause they, uh, like not only do all the animals eat the mushrooms, but like everything where the mushrooms grow becomes fucking incredible. So like just increasing the health and uh, you know, Paul's deal was like, if you put out these spores and you grow these mushrooms everywhere that they grow will be 
more fertile and healthier. Yeah, they said, I mean, the mushrooms were here longer before humans were here. Oh, yeah. And they say that the spores came from different distant galaxies. Um, it's, yeah, we can we can have a podcast just on mushrooms. Mushrooms well, are... Well, they there was a certain point in, you know, like if you look within time, I forgot what it was, but there was like a... I can't remember what the era was, but there were like six foot, eight foot tall mushrooms. And they think that like the entire planet was covered. In there was these. also giants. Yeah. That's, I mean that there's, there's a lot that, yeah, there's a lot that's happened in the well, 8 billion. Well, you, you, so <laughs> I actually probably believe that one because I mean, we found all these giant dinosaur bones and you believe that like when, what was it? When CO2 levels were through the roof, everything was bigger to think that there weren't bigger humans. Yeah, I mean, I played in the NFL. There's definitely some remnants of these people hanging around. I, I played with some fucking dudes that I'm like, these guys are giants. Some big dudes, yeah. right. But uh, And you're a big dude. Yeah, and I'm a big dude, and I wasn't a big dude. Right. You know, I played next to guys that were like 6'8", six, 6'9", six, you know, 350 pounds. Right. I was a small athletic dude. Right. So, for offensive line. But, uh, no, I mean, it's, um, the, the Paul Stamets stuff was really fascinating. Just understanding, like, um, you know, that places where mushrooms grow are healthier than places where it doesn't. And then the other issue we were running into is because people use so much Roundup and glycophosphate on all like these areas around here, that when it rains, all that runs down into the creeks and the creeks end up becoming kind of these like, I don't know, poison dens or something. That's why they say don't swim in the creeks here after it rains. Yeah, sure. You know? Hamilton pool. Yeah. Yeah. They, right. they don't because everybody, you know, I mean, people are trying to control. Texas is a huge weed. People, you know, and you know, in your neighborhood, people are spaying glycophosphate and all this roundup and shit to try to control the weeds because it's not it's not natural to have a, a lawn in texas that's right i went turf yeah <laughs> I, I as you see like i just have rocks yeah, and, right. and like just like mulch yep and uh you know whatever grass is there like i, I fertilize our pastures because we turn out horses in our pasture i like that hardscape though yeah it's uh i i like whenever i look at these neighborhoods i'm like i would never have a fucking lawn like, I used to be obsessed with it. Oh, I'm sure. It's like, especially. <laughs> what is this ring of fungus? Yeah, what's this weed? <laughs> oh, yeah. And like the, uh, uh, they're called hack, uh, hackberries and china berries, mm -hmm. uh, these invasive trees. You can't kill them. Like I have them in my creek. I go cut them. Uh, the, the, the only way you do them is you have to drill a hole and put this like toxic chemical. Even if you rip out the root, if you leave even a tiny piece of root, they're going to come back. Hmm. So I just have to go through and manage. And a big part of this. They, and they're poisonous? No, they're, they're just, uh, they're invasive. So right. like just like, like the bamboo. cedars. Yeah, right. they're just invasive. I have, I have to like manage that piece. But to get back to it, the reason I got uh, stuck in this Paul Stamets deal is he talked about if you have mushrooms, they're like natural filters for the water hmm. and the soil and any of the glycophosphates. Like he was saying that uh, they had like these huge, uh, like, uh, I want to say like toxic spills and they were able to plant mushrooms and the mushrooms were able to come in and basically like reheal whatever the area that was destroyed. Hmm. So that was the podcast or the, it was like a, maybe a Ted talk or just some lecture he did. You have to put a link to that to the listeners. Yeah, yeah sure. it was. That's fascinating. Um, uh, yeah, and so at that point I was like, well, if there's glycophosphate right. in the water, I'm just going to plant mushroom spores and see if I could turn this thing into a mushroom forest to basically clean everything. That's amazing. So it's uh there's a lot of work I got. So they, the dam that the old man built, um, a tree grew underneath it, so it mm -hmm. cracked. And uh, so I went through and I tried to, I've tried to kill the tree two years in a row. I've never successfully killed it. This year, I'm going to cut that motherfucker and I'm going to chain it and just fucking rip it out of the there deal. You go. I was trying to do this, like cut it, and now I'm just going to go fucking mm -hmm. just fire and burn You have to show it to me. Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll show you. So like, Yeah, I'll, I'll take you on a walk at this thing. And I know what you're going to say. You're like, dude. Let me come over and walk around your creek on some uh, on some yep. uh, psilocybin. I, I have a buddy, uh, John Aguilar, um, mm -hmm. who's a, um, he's been on the podcast. Amazing dude. He's an old time uh, stone builder, 
uh, does all dry stones. So there's a little bench. I don't know if you saw, but when the little turn is that you parked, there's like a weird kind of bench. So he built that for uh, Brian. God, uh, one of Joe Rogan's buddies, a comic. Um, This Brian dude, he was on his podcast. He wanted to teach him how to do it. So he hit me up. It's like, hey, can we come build like a stone wall and end up being a bench? But uh, he is a similar deal. He had kind of a pretty interesting ayahuasca journey and kind of does some plant-based medicine stuff himself. And I remember he walked in there and he's like, dude, if you ever see me walking around a Creek, I'm like, I'll be fine. I got cams everywhere. Cause cause I, uh, we have wildlife exemption. So I have mm-hmm. to hunt uh, right. for part of our wildlife. So the feeders and all that. And so I got cams everywhere. So if I see random people wandering around the Creek, I'll be like, what the fuck's going on down there? But oh, I know what's going yeah, on. Yeah. Now you know what's going on. But that, uh, the, the Paul Stamets, uh, mycelium deal. I mean, as as you're reading all the information, I ordered his books and listen. It feels like and how long ago is this? It sounds uh, recent. Uh, probably was it last year? Yeah, it was. Oh, probably, that's really recent. Yeah, yeah. It's it's been within the last year. So just think about how much of life has gone by without knowing this. Yeah. Well, it's I, like, oh, well, it's like uh, so. The problem, I think, uh, at, at least for me, with uh, you know, like I never really, I don't know, maybe it just, you know, you kind of lump all this stuff together like uh, marijuana you know uh shrooms lsd that's fair you know people kind of do it and it's all kind of like fair. stuff that druggies and hippies do that's right um you know and then uh oh I, I know what i was telling you so uh in the in the 90s when i was in college uh i worked security for these illegal oh, for raves the in san francisco we just made we just connected yeah. the dots yeah so yeah. i i um yeah because you were talking about mdma uh and sometimes i'm really shitty on tangents but i worked security for these illegal raves and the guy that uh, would put on the parties, worked for these two huge Coke dealers in San Francisco and they had a huge party. And basically I met this guy kind of, and he's like, Hey, uh, um, you know, he hired these security dudes. I was working at this club, you know, cause at the time my scholarship check was 740 bucks. We couldn't work. You know, the NCAA didn't allow us to. And you were huge. Yeah. I was a big dude. And, right. and, 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 and I had, uh, started martial arts when I was six and got into boxing. So I was always a pretty good fighter and a big dude. And so he's like, Hey, I'll pay you $300 a night to work security, which to me might as well have been a million. Yeah, sure. By cash. Fuck, I can go. So I'd go work these illegal raves. These guys would go in and it was kind of a closed market. They'd go in and do their dealing and they started, uh, you know, obviously ecstasy, MDMA, and then uh, ketamine and all these things that they would give these guys. And so I got a chance to soberly watched what was happening in real time because I knew what dealers were selling Mm -hmm. what, and these guys would kind of go around and you see them deal. And then you would watch these kids, you know, rave music and dancing and all that shit. And I would watch them like, you know, all of a sudden the kid takes uh, ketamine and they take too much. And all of a sudden these kids are stuck in their in K-hole. K-hole. Right. Or you'd watch them pop all these, uh, uh, you know, ecstasy pills and basically dance until they've overheated themselves because they, they can't drink enough water. Their body temperature's up and they just like robots fucking stuck. And I would watch this and I'm just like fascinated that, uh, you know, one, like what experiences are they going through in this? But then also thinking like, fuck dude, like this, this is wild. But it was a, it was an interesting, interesting kind of ability to watch what was happening. And then at the end of the night they would pay us and we would just fucking run. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go back and hang out with my stoned roommate. Yeah. Well, this, this top gun. that, that was actually my freshman year. This was later as I, gotcha. you know, was, uh, you know, had moved on, but that guy, I, I just had such a, interesting like i always wonder if i had had uh a better what you could say like a more kind of 
I don't know, just a better exposure to it. Sure. Or if somebody, right. you know, provided me books and talked right. about this and Terrence McKenna yep. and, uh, you know, Paul Stamets. And I saw this, I could, I could see it where it fits within not only our history, but also if you look at from an evolutionary biology, it makes a fucking ton of sense. It does. And, and, you know, just like alcohol and tobacco and sugar uh, and, and other drugs, people will use these to escape. Right. You people, you know, I, I look at ketamine. It's legal. And you go out to any bar or club in Austin and there's people with nasal sprays of ketamine all over the place. Really? All over, bro. Fuck. I, I, uh, I guess we don't go out enough. I, I, I got three kids. And we a don't wife. either. Yeah, yeah, we have four. Uh, but <laughs> it, it's, it's out there, right? You, yeah. you see it, the, you know, it was the first, it's, it's not a true psychedelic, right? It's a disassociative, it's an anesthetic. Um, uh, is there, are, are there some great properties to it? Absolutely. Um, but people can get addicted to disassociation. Isn't it a cat tranquilizer? It's it? A, it was used as a horse tranquilizer. Horse tranquilizer. Was also used during childbirth. Um, uh, as, anesthesiologists would use it um for for pain and disassociation so they wouldn't feel so like you had an out of body. body experience correct okay and so you know it's um you know people can become addicted to the experience right so so just like with anything uh you know alcohol is used to suppress to you know forget um these compounds can also be abused i'm not going to say that nobody's ever going to abuse them um, but that's really where intention comes in, where proper preparation and integration and education comes in. Do people abuse, um, psilocybin? Man, I, I don't know how you could. Um, well, it, like, um, um, we, so was it last year? I forgot what, yeah, last year we, um, I went, I, I got invited with Matt Vincent uh, on this, uh, Indian motorcycles, uh, was launching the, you know, Indian motorcycles. And, you know, we went to San Francisco and we rode all the way down the coast, all the way to Monterey and then farther down and then came up over the top through Bakersfield and ended up in, um, like Palm Springs. So it was like eight days. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I grew up in California and went to Berkeley and I've traveled all over California and I've never ridden a motorcycle from San Francisco to Southern California like that and had somebody pay for it. So it was like, great. the fucking best. Um, you know, sitting there with a helmet on, listening to music, riding and that, yep. like, I mean, probably one of the most amazing mm -hmm. experiences I've ever had being able to kick ass on this bike and, you know, do all this. And, uh, it was, it was super cool. And like those experiences, which I'm sure would only be made more rich, you know, with certain things like this, but I mean, like how many people have the ability to do these type of things. So I almost look at it like some of these, maybe these psychedelics as ways for people to have a little vacation. Or the ability to like kind of, you know, make the world a little bit brighter, make it a little bit kinder, right. a little bit easier. And that, you know, that's not abuse to me. Um, you know, I think people, you know, I think humans are looking for connection. I think we're very, I mean, my, I don't go anywhere without my phone, right? I mean, I, and it's, it's, it's difficult. I right? forget it all the time. That's amazing. Yeah. No, I, I, uh, so when I'm working um, outside, like, uh, you know, we've been, like I said, I've been clearing all this land and doing right. all this. I constantly leave it and, uh, I fucking have this Apple watch and I won't wear it. And my wife will be like, I've been trying to get a hold of you. I'm like, like, and, and you know, we got kids and there's carpools and right. all this other shit and people are constantly trying to get a hold of me. 
but the desire to like be able to do something unabated 100% by some form of electronic leash and this and then the, it's the well and then also like the need where like you know I mean our business you know, right. uh, is, is on the internet. Social media is a part of it. So then there's this incredible need to like share everything I'm doing, but then also this desire to not share anything. That's correct. Cause why do I care about sharing my life with a whole bunch of people that I don't know? That's right. But we, then we have a podcast where we share a ton of information with people that, you know, we know, and maybe we don't know to try to influence them then. So then there's this constant, like, well, I'm doing something bitching right now Would this influence people in the right way. But then also, uh, I'm also um, in this mindset where if you have to like look through every experience through a phone, I'm not absorbing the experience. I agree. So I'm like in this constant like yeah, angel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah it's, it's a constant pull of like, you know, wishing that I lived 50, 60 years ago where you could go out and cut wood and didn't have to tell anybody about it. Opposed from setting up and watching people let more filming me chopping wood for 10 minutes or right. an hour, you know, because it takes us out of the present. Right. And then it, it, you know, as, and we, we as a society are programmed to have all of these things now, you know, it's like kids don't even play outside anymore. Yeah. They have all the things. Well, why would you go outside when the world's in your hand? <laughs> right. I know. I, know. I, I, I dude, I, I, I know. argue with my kids it's, with this it's constantly. Tough. It's tough. Like I, so we had a, uh, last Saturday, I don't know if you know, or you probably did from your house cause you live pretty close, but I had a huge burn pit. So I, I had all these stumps and so I lit it up at like six in the morning and burned the whole day and it was, you know, bellowing smoke and, you know, you got to call the fire department ahead of time. Yep. So when I moved here, you could burn as well. Then all of a sudden, like they started building all these homes and next yeah, thing you know, sure. the fire department shows up because they think there's a fire, which makes sense. But as I'm out there burning stuff, I'm like, you know, I mean, I'll call my kids. I'm like, hey, come out. Like we have a huge fire. Come out and burn shit. How old are your kids? Uh, my daughters are 12. Awesome. I got twins and then my little boy's seven. Awesome. Um, so my one daughter did not come out. My little boy had basketball, came home. He came over and was like, what can we burn? I'm like, burn anything other than a tire. He can't throw a tire in there. And for three hours, he just picked up stuff and threw it in the fire and watched it burn. And that's all I did. That's cool. And I'm like, there's a reason that uh, people have had meetings around fires and this. I mean, everything. Like, I was like, it's great. It's the best part of camping. But the the need or the feeling that there's something, this FOMO that you're missing on your phone. I'm like, there's nothing on your phone that's better than this exact moment. And the only thing the phone's going to make you do, especially with social media, is feel like you're not doing enough. That's correct. You know, because I, I get stuck in it. That's why we call it, uh, um, you know, fucking demon scrolling or, you know, uh, just this constant feeling that everybody's doing more than you and that you're fucking lazy and you haven't done enough because you're not doing this and generating content. Well, and then look at all the body shaming and everything that these young girls are going through with seeing all these, you know, filtered photos of, of, of people out there that, oh, I'm not pretty enough. I'm not skinny enough. I mean, it's, 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 it's fueling depression. It's fueling this, this reality that doesn't really exist i mean it's 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 i'm i'm in this like i i don't know the proper age on when my daughter my daughter's nine my son's six um and i have two stepchildren that are 17 and 15 but are almost 15 but if it was me I would, i'd be like uh i don't want you to have a phone until you drive yeah i don't know the proper i i this is such a because because I, I i know um, I've, I've just seen with my life and just how tied I am. It's a computer in my pocket. Right. And so I'm, I'm always working. Right. And it takes me away from being present with my children and yeah. being present with my family and being present in the moment. Um, and that's why it's called a practice. I mean, I, there's so much more, I'm forever a student. Right. And so there's so much more work that I have to do on myself. Um, 
uh, and, and I'm always trying to fight with, you know, being present and all these other external forces trying to pull me out of being present. And the interesting piece is you did not even know that this world existed because right. you were so stuck in this like depression this and this loop, this loop. And then all of a sudden, right. Hey, you know, you have this experience and then, um, I imagine those initial experiences with the psilocybin were extremely helpful, but then were there other plant-based medicines that you felt take, took it to the next level or did more? I mean, I'm, I'm just fascinated by <clears throat> the different, uh, like, like, uh, you know, people calling ayahuasca, the mother and, and Ibogaine the father. And I, I, I hear these, these deals and I'm like, and I asked personally, I'm like, how does psilocybin different from ketamine? How are this? And he's like, I think it, you know, and then doc's like, well, it's accessing different chemicals within the body and in the brain it's doing this and releasing a different response. But I'm like, well, how do you know that this is the one, like if the, the soldiers got fixed with Abigail, would they get fixed with psilocybin? So yeah, great question. Um, I, I, you know, there's wisdom associated with all these different, um, all these different medicines, you know, Iboga is considered, uh, the godfather, Ibogaine, the godfather, Wachuma, um, which is mescaline cactus, um, San Pedro, mm-hmm. you might have heard it, uh, referred to as that is the I had a San Pedro cactus. It's beautiful. Somebody gave me one. It's beautiful. And, it's uh, and then Rob Wolf, my buddy was like, dude. You know what we can do with that thing? I know. And uh, I didn't know. I just bought it. Yeah, you can, you can buy it at landscape <laughs> yeah, stores. Yeah, right? it was super cool. It was in a pot. You, know, you can't uh, start getting in trouble um, with the government unless you boil it down mm. and drink it. Fascinating. You, just like you can, buy, you can buy psychedelic mushroom spores legally. You, you just can't grow them. You just can't grow them. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so... Uh, what, what I'm, what I'm currently, this is, this is my, my vision with my sanctuary, uh, is to start building out, you know, customized medicine pathways for people, uh, based on what they're presenting with and what their behavioral patterns are, what their past medical history is, what their relationship patterns are, um, as we start to navigate through these, uh, this new paradigm shift and, uh, really start to see if um, a medicine works better than B medicine, given what somebody's presenting with. So mm-hmm. it's going to take a lot of people to go through these types of treatments to do that. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to have a much quicker time than the federal government's going to have. Um, Jesus. Well, right? at, the, at the rate they move, we're, the, it's, it's never going to take forever. Well, is uh, like, would it be uh, like a chemistry thing? Like I, I, I always wonder um, like, uh, two people smoke marijuana or, you know, two people drink alcohol. I've seen people for me personally, uh, alcohol makes me really tired. That's right. So like I have a drink and like instantly right. I'm like, Ooh. like, right. I'm like, Hey, if you want the best version of me, like, let's just go out and drink water. Like right. I, I'm, I'm fine with a, a coffee or this and can go out and have a good time. All of a sudden I get real tired if I drink. So it's for depressing. me, it's yeah. Depressing. But yet I've been with other people that have a drink. <laughs> And they go fucking explode. And next thing you know, their you know, pants are off. And I don't active. know how to explain it. Well, it, it's a chemistry thing. Right. So the only, uh, there's only two, of all the alcohols, the only two that aren't suppressants is tequila? like tequila and um, uh, Jägermeister. Yeah, which even, I'm not sure what Jaeger is, but yeah. Uh, well, uh, <laughs> as soon as I say the word Jaeger, everybody over the age of about 35 gives me this. I look. know what it is. Well, they, they, they I'm not sure exactly what type of liquor. They don't it want is. to like throw up in their yeah, mouth. Right. Um, I was probably maybe 10, uh, somewhere between 10 and 12. 
we had, an, my dad was, like I said, he was a lawyer. He had a client that was this old German uh, bricklayer and he did a bunch of work at our house. And so he would always come over for, uh, you know, bring over German beer and come hang out with my dad. And uh, we went to this, I think it was an event at like Alpine Village or somewhere. We went to some like October thing and we had a big meal and the whole deal. And then he poured shots of uh, Jägermeister and uh, I did one. And I was like, this is liquid death. It's horrible. And I was pretty young. And then obviously, you know, uh, Jaeger bombs were a big deal probably yep. about 20 years ago. So we did too many of those. But um, yeah, anybody, you say the word Jaeger, like I can't imagine. Rumplemans, Goldschlager. Oh, I can't. Those are like, horrible. If if we went to a bar and I was like, I'm going to need uh, two Jaeger shots, I hope you'd punch me in the side of my face yeah, and right. be like, I'm All fucking sugar. I'm fucking leaving yeah, immediately. Yeah, it's horrible. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, um, yeah, it's, uh, but those were the only two. Whereas for me, you know, you drink a glass of wine, I kind of this, but I've been around other people that it fucking just right. lights them up. So I wonder in a same vein as that, if you know, Howard, right. certain people take More chemical makeup, yeah, like certain people take a microdose of right. uh, psilocybin and next thing you know, they're all, you know, this and somebody else takes X amount more and notices right. nothing. Yeah. It'll be interesting as we kind of navigate this because, um, you know, there's only X number of people that are being studied right now in the clinical trials. So it'll be very interesting to see what comes up over the next 10 years. Um, you know, University of Texas at Dell Medical has a psychedelic research center that we're oh. partnering with on a Wachuma study. Nobody's ever studied um, organic mescaline. They've only done a study on synthesized mescaline. Um, so um, this is really big for me being a co-author on the paper, us being a, a sanctuary, uh, being able to do a research study with, uh, with the University of Texas. Um, to really, you know, build legitimacy about the work that we're doing. Um, and so I'm really excited to have these, you know, this team of high level researchers right here in Austin um, that are very supportive of the work that we're doing. And I'm very supportive of what they're doing because it takes everybody. Yeah. Right. We, we need people at the state Capitol, right. Advocating for, for these types of therapies. We need people in DC. We need the legislative, you know, arms of, 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 you know, creating new bills to get passed. Um, it's an uphill battle. And then we need the, the research departments that on, in the public and the private side. Uh, and then, and then we have, uh, you know, educational practices and, um, materials coming out to teach people harm reduction and, and, you know, how to work with these medicines in a spiritual context outside of a clinic. Cause I really think that's, that's really, where the, the gold is made is, is healing happens in community. Or in, in nature. I can't imagine well, being in nature, stu sure. stu stuck in like a, a uh, hospital a in a room. Sure. Right. Like, uh, like it's not, it's, it's not a natural setting. No, I, I've, I've had a uh, gang of surgeries, you know, as an NFL player. And every time I was in the hospital, I had the same exact like phobia, like, like uh, almost, um, God, I don't even know what to call it, but just like some heavy sitting on my chest. You're sitting in this like white room and this and all, you know, beeping in here. And I'm like, who likes to go to doctors? Fuck no. And, uh, right. you know, so it's, um, uh, like I always wonder in those clinical settings cause they have to control everything and they probably have the people there and all these fucking electrodes. I'm like, how shitty an experience is that going to be? Yeah. You know, now I do, I do think that certain individuals are going to be, um, needing to start in more of a isolated, uh, environment uh, in hopes that they can get to the community setting. Cause you know, we run 10 person, uh, retreats, mm -hmm. 10 person programs and the healing happens in 
communities. There's a, there's a great book by Sebastian Younger called tribe. Yeah. Phenomenal. Yeah. And you know, it really, uh, is this, the, the power of the small group, the power of the community to lift each other up, to champion and celebrate our wins, our losses, to, to realize that we don't have to do this alone is, is so healing. You know, for me, you know, I'm the, I'm the founder and president of this organization and I'm, I'm at every retreat because it's so healing for me to be there. It fills my cup up. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, it's like, dude, like pinch me. I get to do, this is, this is my career. This is what I get to do. I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely beautiful. And I learned something from every, I can see, you know, you're a mirror to me, right? Everybody's a mirror to me. Right. And, and when, when I, when somebody pisses me off, because they're a mirror to me, there's something inside that person that they're displaying to me that is inside me. And that's why I have this reaction to them like this mm-hmm. and being in, in these, these retreats with 10 people. Now I've been, I've been, you know, had a lot of, uh, beautiful moments with people that I've served with, mm-hmm. uh, especially in the Austin fire department that I put through this program, but for, you know, the others, they're complete strangers and everybody has been such a great teacher for me. I've learned something from every single retreat and, you know, just the courage it takes for them to get there is inspiring. Even for me, as I live, live and uh, continue to go down my path and just grown men, grown women being, you know, feeling safe with strangers to be vulnerable and to cry and to feel and to feel scared and you know all of these all of these feelings are welcomed and i do you know being able to have this community now because i can i won't put words in your mouth but i will have the assumption that leaving the nfl you lost part of your identity oh yeah shit right you want to talk about uh, an interesting point in your life where, you know, hey, I've done this thing since I was 14 years old and I've lived my entire life. This is my identity. This is who I am. I remember when I retired, my older brother, um, who's a lawyer, called me and he's like, it'd be like if somebody showed up on my door, knocked and said, you don't get to be a lawyer anymore. All the work you've done, right. just go fuck off. And there's nowhere else to go because, you know, once, uh, you know, like once you retire and it's done, then you have to re-identify yourself and make a pivot and figure out who you are and who you are without all this. Correct. Cause yeah. you know, it's like you've identified yourself as I'm a ball player or I'm a Marine or I'm a firefighter or I'm a cop or I'm a lawyer. And then you do your time, you retire, you get hurt, you get out, sure. whatever it is. Well, who am I? What am I? What, what is my purpose? My purpose was to play football. My purpose was to, serve this country. My purpose was to serve this community. So what is my purpose now? And so you see this cross pollination in, in different career fields that when they stop doing, when people stop doing that, that they have learned to become a part of, they have identified with that. People struggle with it. Yeah. And you know, I've, I've talked with now a few, uh, pro athletes, um, and they're very similar struggles that I have seen uh, me not as a pro athlete, but me as a uh, military service member, me as a first responder that I also uh, experienced when I left those careers. Sure. Um, And that's where it really comes back to 
you're just like me. We're humans. Uh, the only difference, and, and I know where, uh, the only difference for me, I think maybe then maybe some of the military guys, um, I really liked what I did. True. Uh, okay. I, I really loved to play football. Sure. Uh, I loved every aspect. I loved the training. I loved the preparation. Uh, maybe not watching all the film, but like the game day and going out and basically one-on-one fist fighting a dude for three hours in front of hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people at home. Right. Uh, I fucking loved it. And I loved like the, I, I would have done it in a uh, an empty fucking parking lot. Um, I didn't hear the crowd. It wasn't important. Um, but I just liked the fact that I got to one-on-one fist fight a dude for three hours <laughs> every Sunday in, in, in my awesome. game unis. And yeah. I, I liked the violence. I found a lot of like peace and calm and everything was really quiet and very focused. And it was, um, there was no distraction. Mm -hmm. It was just you versus this individual and how good is he? And basically how sharp is your sword? Have you done enough to be the best? And I fucking loved it. I was addicted to it. And then what happened when you retired? Um, I got hurt. Um, I, I ended up finished my contract, Kansas city, went to go play for the chief or, uh, for the Patriots and last preseason game, I ended up kind of jacking up my knee, uh, figured I'd just say something at the end of, after the first game, cause I was vested, I got released. They tried to bring me back, did a, uh, a physical found that I had a piece of bone sheared off of my, my kneecap mm -hmm. that actually was stuck in the joint. So then I went home, had surgery, cleaned it all out and I was rehabbing and, uh, an injury that should have taken me, you know, six, seven, eight weeks at most to heal. All of a sudden my knee was still swollen like six months later. So I had to go back in and the doctor was, uh, the, the surgery the doctor did was not the right surgery. So I had to go get another surgery uh, to fix all the inflammation and clean it all up. And, and then by, and then I got out of that surgery and I was fine. But at that point I'd already lost a year. So I was in year 10, right. Uh, got hurt, missed 11. And then what am I going to come back? I'd already been out a year. Am I going to come back and, uh, you know, make a fucking comeback in year 12? And then how did you, how did you, how was your transformation or reintegration into be, not being a ball player? So I had a really, uh, kind of interesting piece in that, uh, I came home from surgery and was sitting on the couch and I was, you know, the plan was always to go to law school. So I went to Berkeley, graduated in four years, got my master's or didn't actually ever submit my thesis because that's a whole other fucking story. Uh, but I was doing my master's education, went to go play, and uh, that had turned into 10 years. And uh, then when I retired, you know, there was a scholarship at, uh, at Berkeley Law for um, a guy, Adrian Cragen, who hosted me on my trip there, who was like an 80-year-old dude, uh, been dean of the law school. Still that conversation at 17, 18 years old is still super impactful for me today. And um, he had a scholarship for a four-year letterman to go to the law school at Berkeley. So I, I was going to apply to that, started reaching out, trying to figure out like, okay, hey, I got to reach out to professors. And I still had stayed in contact with guy, with uh, professors and people that I'd worked with because I knew I would always need some form of you know, recommendations in this. So I signed up for my LSATs because uh, they're only good for right. five years. So I signed up for the LSATs and uh, my phone rang and it was uh, this guy that owned a little fitness company. And asked me if I come work for him and help him figure out develop their technology on how to train athletes, and that was CrossFit a guy named Greg Glassman. That's awesome. So I thought, fuck it, let's give this a try, and we ended up launching a, a website called CrossFit Football. Uh, we got seventeen thousand hits the first day. Thirty days later, I had a seminar, and I proceeded to travel the world for the next nine years. Taught hundreds of seminars around the globe, uh, basically preaching what you know, power athlete, and really just the company that I built mm -hmm. and the methodology on how to train athletes. So I traveled all over the world uh, teaching for CrossFit and also doing power athlete and doing a bunch of like contracting for the military and programming. That's great. Yeah. I mean, so that I was did your path. I didn't really have 
much time to sit around and feel sorry for myself. And I just, you know, kind of just didn't even really process it. Just fucking went into this. Well, it sounded like, you know, you, you went from one purpose to another purpose. Yeah. yeah no, I mean, there, there wasn't much time. I've never, um, uh, I'm going to fuck up the poem, but it's a Robert Frost. I never saw a wild thing feel sorry for itself. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, bird, you know, freezes and that's the, right. You know, freezes. So I, I've always subscribed to that where like, you know, we're the only species on the planet, uh, maybe dogs, uh, you know, horses get sad, but like for the most sure. part, like we're the only species that feel sorry for ourselves That's right. and feeling sorry for myself wasn't going to help me in any way other than, you know, lead me down a negative path. And I, I saw guys that I played with that were addicted to painkillers and were just kind of what it looked like if they were running from the reality of like, I don't get to do this fucking, imagine you have the most, I mean, like you were, you know, beaming, talking about your job. Right. And this is like what you've trained your entire life to do. And then all right. of a sudden somebody picks up a phone and goes, you don't get to do this anymore. Go fuck off. And that's how it's done. Right. Like you fucking die, multiple surgeries, yeah. bust, bust your ass. And then all of a sudden these people call you and go, Hey, you know what? You're done. We're not going to go with you anymore. Number. Yeah. Right. And uh, then they give your number to somebody else. So, right. so it's, uh, it's a pretty, yeah. uh, like at first, like I, I remember I got the call and I fucking just like, I like, I remember that night I went out and I went home. And I like laid in bed and I, you know, I'd get up every morning, like between five thirty and six. So I'm pretty religious to get up and train and do everything and get up. And I remember I laid there until like nine o'clock and my mom called me and she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm laying here in bed. She's like, you're still in bed at nine o'clock. Are you depressed? I was like, no, I'm sitting here trying to figure out what the fuck I'm going to do with my life. And, uh, that was uh, a really interesting piece of like, you know, like, what do I look like without this? What do I look like? This has been my identity. <laughs> You know, I was 32 years old. This has been my identity since I was 14. You know, this is all I've ever done. This is all I've ever wanted to do. This is all I was ever, you know, I was good at other things, let's say. But for the most part, like, this is what I really enjoyed to do. And then there's this idea of like, oh, you should go coach. And I was like, fuck. That's like, uh, that's like being like a director in a porn movie almost, right? You're like, oh, these hot chicks. Yeah, like, I, I, I don't get to <laughs> fucking, I, I just got to sit oh. there and watch it behind the screen. You know, it's, it's like watching people play chess. Yes. I don't want to watch fucking people play chess. I want to play chess. I want to play chess. Right. Like, I, like right. I, you know, like, I coach people and we train and do all this, but like, I'm still, I like, I wouldn't, I, and I go back and forth on this. Like, I'm not necessarily a coach per se. Uh, I'm a pretty good athlete that can work with other athletes to sure. make them incredible. Yep. So whether or not I'm training or working with them, like ask Jacob, like I'm, I fucking do everything just because like, I'm not over there with a clipboard and fucking a hat sure. and a whistle. That's not me. I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm, I'm a lead from the front. Even if I coach football, I'd be out there fucking in cleats. Hey, this is what I need you to do. And I'll demo it. Now you do it. Sure. So, um, coach to me was always the fucking guy that was standing there, uh, yelling at me while I was sweating and working. And so I've never really accepted that. I mean, even, you know, at jujitsu, uh, you know, the guys that I train and the guys that I work with or who are some of the best in the world, I mean, they're in their geese and they roll. I mean, it's not like, you know, and they joke and they're like coach and I'm like, uh, and so now I've kind of taken a different approach, but like in the same, right? Like I'm still training. I'm still doing all these things. I'm not like standing back behind a screen trying to fucking do mm-hmm. this. And so, uh, I just kind of went into this deal with strength and conditioning and performance in this because it was something that um, I'd always done. It, it was just, it was a piece of, it was a, a vehicle to allow me to do my job better. So I became obsessed with it. Um, you know, how to eat, how to train, how all of these pieces were just pieces that I was trying to assemble to make me better at what the tasks that I wanted. And then when I got out, I realized that people were interested in the pieces. Sure. And so when I went out and I was teaching all this, 
I had a really hard piece because uh, I was like, all of this is meant to be used for something for greatness. I'm not giving you these pieces. I'm not talking about nutrition and training and plyometrics and jumps and run. All of this is the accumulation of all this to make you really fucking lethal. And, you know, whether that lethality is the guys we train at, you know, um, you know, development sure. group or, right. uh, you know, the you know pro BJJ guys or fighters or any of the pro athletes or Olympians we've worked with. Or all, just your neighbor. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or, or just, yeah. Or, hey man, you got my back. Yeah. You know, my, uh, like I said, my, my buddy Matt comes over and trains. He yeah. was uh, wrestled heavyweight at Cornell and cool. then wrestled his six year at Hofstra. And, um, you know, he's a fucking bond broker now or a bond yeah, trader. Yeah. That's awesome. You know, so he shows up and we bang weights cause you know, he fucking, the only thing he liked to do in this world was wrestle and play football. Mm -hmm. And now he's like, now we do this other shit, but it's, uh, uh, it was fascinating to me when when uh, Greg Glassman reached out, and um, for all of you know Greg Glassman's insanity, and I don't know if you know him, um, like super sharp dude, had a very keen perception on what was happening in the world. Now he's a true cult leader, in that you know there's a lot of broken pieces associated with that that you know probably negatively affected his business. But at his core, he did more to put barbells in people's hands than anybody else, mm -hmm. which at the end of the day, you're a better person for lifting weights than if you're not. Sure. So we traveled and and that was the the sermon that I taught. That was the homily. I mean, all these pieces of like, you know, you you build yourself under adversity and the greatest way I can do it is in the gym. But at the end of the day, for me it was a step further where it has to be ported to something. Like I don't work out just to work out. I work out because I need something to use it for. It's like I, I'm not gonna just go out and learn to shoot the pistol. I'm using the, the shoot the pistol because I might need to use the pistol one day. I'm not going to jujitsu just because I think it's a good workout. It's because uh, I need to go out and try to fuck up people. And not that I'm gonna necessarily run into people that I need to because you know there's not many six foot five, right. three hundred, you know, two hundred sixty pound dudes. But those are the guys I train with. Right. So. Everything is always to me has been about sharpening the blade. And if I'm the blade, That's I'm right. going to sharpen iron it. sharpens iron. Yeah, as one man sharpens right. another. Right. Um, but that sharpening, both mentally, emotionally, physically, all these other things, I mean, spiritually. Uh, that's why the plant-based medicine and like the psilocybin and all these other things have always just been so fascinating to me because is there <coughs> a way to sharpen myself to make myself more human, uh, you know, more adapted, you know, uh, more a, optimized, a, a better father, sure. a better husband. Um, you know, I, I watch people that are, you know, I, I know why people get divorced a hundred percent that they stop talking, mm -hmm. you know, they stop, uh, they lose respect for each other. My, my dad, um, like I said, as I told you, was an attorney, he did uh, like gnarly murder one stuff. Uh, early in his career, he did some family and he's like, it was easier to go represent murders, rapists and killers than families than to, than to do families and, and uh, yeah. uh, divorces. He's like the ugliness I saw in divorce. I didn't yeah. want anywhere near my life. Yes. And his big, and when I asked him, I was, you know, he was married 55 years to my mom. I said, dad, what, uh, what do you think the secret to being married for 55 years is? And he's like, looks fade, jokes get old, uh, the cooking, you know, he's like, believe me after a while. But he said, the one thing that doesn't, as long as you have respect for your partner, that's when I noticed when I did the family stuff that when all of a sudden people lost respect for each other and they talked to themselves really ugly and they said things that were just like, holy shit, I can't believe you said that to your significant other. He goes, when you lose respect, it's over. And right. there's, there's no coming back. You know, if the wife doesn't respect the husband and she's a fucking, you know, battle axe on him and he doesn't respect her and fucking slaps her around or runs around or doesn't respect the covenant, he goes, that's when it ends. That's right. So a big part of, you know, I, I took that piece not only for, you know, my, my marriage and my family, but also for life. Like as long as I respect all these things and I pay it the due, whether, you know, respect my body, respect all these other things. And as long as I don't fucking disrespect 
you know, nature. I mean, I try to leave everything better than what I found it, whether it be people, whether it be cars or equipment sure. or, or land or whatever. I mean, the podcast too, I feel that I'm headed in the right direction. Uh, where I get bummed out is when people leave shit worse. Like you go camping and all of a sudden you go out in the nature and you see trash, trash everywhere. Right. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Like this, like you just have, like you can just willingly just throw shit out there into nature expecting somebody else to pick up. You know, I mean, we, like I said, dude, I, I work my ass off to manage this property knowing full well that one day probably a developer will buy it, scrape the entire thing and put up a bunch of homes here and I'll drive by and a little piece of me died knowing how many hours I put into it. But I did the part that I was supposed to. That's right. I respected it. And uh, the one thing that's been fascinating too with, um, you know, um, I think people lose sight of that and they lose sight of purpose. I do. And I have always, not always, because I've just kind of uh, started exp- like researching all this, is it connects you back into something like whether it be a collective consciousness within nature, but every thing that I've ever read from whether it be the uh, Ibogaine, I could be fucking it up, but ayahuasca and this, there's always this interesting porn form of like nature and back to earth. And that like people come out with like a greater respect for different things. And, um, <clears throat> and know, I think you're you, maybe less of an asshole. I think we start to, well, you, you start to get back to that little boy inside of you, that little boy inside of me. Um, to where you start to have joy again and you, you do in these altered states of consciousness, realize that we're all connected. You and I are connected. Us in nature is connected. So to have this, well, I think it's funny that you drove down my road and you're like, man, I've seen that rusty truck for years. Oh dude. (laughs) I, you know, I've been, I've been out here since 2013. Oh I've, uh, I've, yeah, I've seen it. Not, I, I started out in Spicewood and then I've been, we've been out here since, uh, we moved in 2021, but yeah. I, then I lived in Vistancia before that, yeah. uh, back yeah. in 2018, 2017. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's, there's, there's not a, you know, there's, there's some older properties around here that you've seen, but you never know who lives there. Yeah. I mean, the Frito Lay's grandson has a monstrosity right off of uh, Hamilton pool. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, you never, you always wonder who lives around, around these towns. So, um, I'm glad you're one of the, uh, you, you were here before all of this. Yeah. So. Well, I, I'm, I'm pre Joe Rogan. Right. So when <laughs> right, I break, right. when I break Austin into pieces, I ask people, are they uh, post? pre, yeah, pre, are you pre or post Joe? Pre or post. Yeah. Joe. It, it's like, are, are you, uh, you know, BCJ or, I mean, or are you after? Right. Because the, uh, so this, as you know, That's I mean, funny. cause you were here, but the, the pre Joe Rogan, I mean, none of these developments existed when I, you know, where our building is, when I stood there, uh, I could, you know, there was no school. Um, I could see three houses for where Terra Kalinas is, um, down by the water tower. So, I mean, it was all open and now they've built a school, they built that road and that road actually, it's pretty funny. I was pretty bummed about the road because we used to go Vail divide. Yeah. God, I love that road though. So that where Vail divide is, I used to, uh, I hunted all <laughs> back there cause that's like our property butts up to it. And then that's my neighbor's property. So we would drive this side by side and I would like, there was an amazing, uh, so as you're driving to the right, that field right there was yes. like, I, I can show you pictures. Like I would take my kids back there and walk and when they demoed uh, it yeah. and they ran, I mean, that goes right on my property line. And I remember, um, uh, Oh, so that is your property right yeah, there. So when you're the left, so when you're driving yes. to Hamilton pool right yep. on the right, that's, yep. uh, so that, that's, your that's my neighbors with all the cedars. And then as soon as you get to where the Creek is, that's all my Creek and all there. So okay. that's all our property. Okay. So right. it butts right up. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that was our, our 
our like our playground. That was where we went out. I mean, I had my stands out there, wow. and then they and I was bummed. My buddy, who's a real estate agent, uh, my buddy Thad, was like, "Dude, do you know what this fucking road has done for your property?" He's like, "Dude, now he's like, this is the best thing that could have ever happened. People want to live close to roads and schools. Not you, you fucking weirdo." Well, and you know, it cuts off about seven minutes for Doc to get here. <laughs> That's assuming Doc is going to show up. I, I like, dude. I, I uh, like. I love him. He's one of my favorite people, and I know if I called him, uh, he'd yeah, he'd be there in a heartbeat yeah, for sure. I, I, I banged my elbow real bad, and I got like the bursa sack blew up, and I was having problems. And I called him, and he like came over, and I'm like, Doc, you drain this, and I assume that he would have like a medical kit. No. He's like, I got a needle and I got a syringe. And he literally like, he's like, you want something to drink? I think uh, like no alcohol, nothing like drains it on like the, uh, on uh, like his kitchen table. And he's like, Hey, next time bring some medical supplies. I was like, I just figured you'd have a medical bag. Like in the movies, like he'd fucking, you know, a doc. And he's like, no, I ain't got that shit. He's uh he's the best, but yeah, that's um, you know, the veil divide in the school that they've done. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's incredible for the neighborhood. It is. But they, you know, uh, where you guys live up, I mean, in Provence and then all of a sudden, you know, now what they're all building. I mean, those places are huge. I drove back there and was like, fuck. It keeps getting bigger. I don't know. I can't remember how many houses they plan to put back there. Is it going to go all the way to 71? That's the, I don't, I know the road will, um, but I don't know. I, it's, I mean, it's going to be a master community. Um, by that time we'll be out. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I well, definitely need to find some land. We have 16, uh, Kathy has 12 or we are over 16, but, um, Kathy has 12 and then my neighbor has a bunch and like, uh, they, you know, like we were saying like at some point, you know, and that's kind of what Kathy said, but she's got the horse school. So I have 60 horses as my neighbor and then they turn out in the pastures, which is even better because they shit everywhere. <laughs> And then when it rains, all that horse shit runs down to the creek. So that's why my property, if you've seen how and green it is. that's why those mushrooms are going to do well. Oh, my God. Yeah. I, I have a, <laughs> yeah. You're going to, like, come back, and it's going to look like the mushroom forest. You're going to be like, is it fucking Willy Wonka in the chocolate factory out here? But, uh, yeah, no, that's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really pretty piece of property. Uh, awesome. I, I'm, I'm so happy to live here and like kind of be in nature, but then also to realize that like, you know, we're not going to be here forever and we're just stewards of the land. That's and, right. uh, you know, and then we'll go off and one day I'll live in a house that has just enough land that I can cut it with like scissors and I will never have to mow and fucking run a, a, a track loader and do all the fucking shit that I do with chainsaws. I'll be like, here are the chainsaws. Here's the track loader. Here's the mower. Take it. I'm going, I'm going to cut my lawn with a fucking set of, that's uh, right. Uh, uh, like shears. Yep. So what's the, what's the timeline on all this? I mean, I, I know you're, you know, I was looking at the website I know you're doing retreats, but like, you know, you have, you have eye on having a, like a big develop, like a, yeah. Event so, center. um, so we're currently running retreats. My goal. So I have a 25 week program, which is the most comprehensive program in the world. Um, eight weeks of preparation, 16 weeks of integration with a week long retreat in, in the middle. And currently I've been running these, these programs for veterans, first responders, gold star widows and their families. Cause mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really focused on healing, healing the entire family unit mm-hmm. because I mean, I, I look at my, my previous marriage. Um, there was a lot of stuff that I impact, uh, on my ex-wife. Um, just, just straight up projection, right? Not knowing how to get out of my loop. Um, <clears throat> so Currently, we're running these in a long-term rental that we have um, 
funny enough, with a gentleman by the name of Thad um, out in Dripping Springs. And um, it's a beautiful home for us. Uh, He's very supportive of the work that we're doing. A lot of lives have been saved in those walls. Um, But, you know, it's, it's not perfect you know i I really want to have a place to where we have sensory deprivation tanks and hyperbaric and you know ketamine and iv therapy and equine therapy and all these different modalities of healing because the psychedelic experience is just a piece in the puzzle Um, and really once we get through the trauma lens people can come back and and really start to uh, learn more about themselves and become optimized, really looking for human optimization. I think this is why Doc is, is you know, so obsessed with, with what I'm doing because uh, he, he, he is well as a visionary. Yeah. And so <clears throat> for the first time, you know, I've been, I've been doing this for a year now, um, and everybody um, that is from the service communities goes through this program free of charge. Hmm. Um, it is our turn as a country to serve these people. Um, and I, I will die by that. Um, I, I'm not here that, you know, hey, thanks for your service. Thanks for keeping our community safe. And I'm going to charge you now to heal from your wounds of, of service. These invisible wounds that you're walking through silence with. So for the, for the first time, starting in January, end of January, we're gonna. I, I'm opening up a, sang, a sister sanctuary called Illuminated Hearts, and that's going to be for civilians, um, athletes, entrepreneurs, uh, C-suite, um, as well as traumatized civilians to come and commune with these sacraments uh, for their different reasons. Uh, for it could it could have a trauma lens. And it could be uh, that they just want to learn more about themselves and they want to grow. Um, so um, these, these types of experiences will be paid by the civilian sector. And then the proceeds from these experiences um, will go to fund healing grants for veterans and first responders. Nice. So it's going to all be under uh, the 501c3. So everyone will get a tax deduction from it. And it's a way for, for us because... I really want this to be accessible for everybody. Sure. Um, you know, given that they go through a medical intake and that this is the right fit for them, uh, this should be accessible. Um, next year, I'm going to start a capital raise um, and we're going to start buying dirt. Um, it's going to be within two hours. Um, I would love some water on there um, uh, and really a place to where we can build our first home for uh, the sanctuary. Um, and possibly some other partners uh, that, that want to be on this land, but really want to want a haven, right? Uh, a place to where people can find refuge, like places, you know, a place to where we have a homeless veteran uh, who wants to work on the land and be given, given uh, a sanctuary there. Um, you know, I really want us to just build a community and that's what we're currently building. It's going to take me a couple years to build out that healing center, but the idea would be to scale it and to put a few of these around the country to force multiply the people that we're helping. Mm. Um, my goal is to get suicide to zero. Do I get there? I don't know, but I'm going to die trying. Um, and when I, when I originally started heroic path to light, you know, I had lost 15 friends to suicide, um, up to that point. And I'm like, man, if I can just save, I can't turn back time and save any of my friends, but if I can save one life, the whole fucking thing's worth it. Yeah. Right. And I have seen the light come back on in people's eyes instantly. Like, I shit you not. Nothing worked for me. All the pharmaceuticals I was on, all the talk therapy, nothing worked. 
right? And, and it about cost me my life. One time with mushrooms, one got me out of the loop. And I have seen this over and over and over again with people that I'm very close with people that have come to me in despair. Hey, this is my last ditch effort. If this doesn't work, I'm going to kill myself. And these dudes are off their medications. These dudes don't want to die. Their family life's better. They're not drinking. You have got to look at this and be like, what on earth is going on here? I mean, th these are people that have tried everything and they, when they come to me, this is it. They're at the end of the rope. This is either going to work or it's not. If you can integrate properly from these experiences, you can create life lasting change, right? And what's so good about these medicines is the neuroplasticity period from the time that you dose time that you commune with this, this medicine, different medicines have different windows, but you have an opportunity to create new habits, right? And you are not in this loop anymore, right? It's like, boom, that's severed. You can, you can, you can address what's happened to you as part of your story, different perception. Um, and the shift happens to where now you can start doing some breath work. You know, I write, I write three things down every day. I start my day like this every day. It's ritualistic for me now. Three things that I'm grateful for. I used to think about like, what's wrong in my life, right? And I just shifted it. It's like three things, and it could be the same thing every day, whatever. But it's a practice of writing down, seeing, verbalizing what, I, what on earth I'm grateful for. Um, and, and then doing a breathwork exercise, right? Doing some yin yoga, right? I have trouble getting to a pretzel, but I do some yin, right? So, you know, and, and now my day's ready. I'm, I'm, I'm clear headed, right? I'm optimized. I feel good. My energy spikes and now I can start. And, and it took me having these experiences and also took people to get in my life to show me how to do this. Sure. Right. I needed some mentors. I needed some community members to, to teach me this, but that's, that's really the, the magic, the magic of community. I'm not trying to recreate the wheel, but there are incredible people out there to include yourself that specialize you. in different things. Yeah. Right. And if we are open to receive information and understand that we're forever the student, we can change our life. And the psychedelic medicine, the psychedelic experience is the catalyst to get us out of our rut, to sever that loop, to where we can take a step back and we have the space now to introduce new things that are going to change your life. Uh, one of the things that's fat, I mean, it's, um, it's traumatic. I mean, it, it's also really fascinating to me is the rate at which men over the age of 40 are killing themselves. Yep. It's like nine times more likely dudes over the age of 40. And like we said, like I told you, like, I know why people get divorced. I know why these guys kill themselves. There's this weird feeling of like, I'm alone. I don't know who I am. Uh, everybody around me that, you know, my father's passed away. So who do I talk to? And, uh, guys over the age of 40 are super fucking lonely. You know, women are great about keeping community and having right. friends and doing this. Dudes are awful at it. That's right. Right. They almost become these like lone kind of wolves where like now all of a sudden, and I, I really <clears throat> chalk it up to uh, neuroplasticity or a lack of neuroplasticity that there's a time in life when they crystallized. And it's usually when, uh, if you look at pictures where their haircut fucking hasn't changed. 
you meet a dude that's 50 and he's had the same haircut since he's 26. That was the moment that he crystallized. And I, I told uh, my buddy Matt Vincent this and he like fucking went out and like shit, like totally cut his hair, dyed it blonde and did this. And now every time I see him, he's got a different haircut and he's like, yeah, I'm breaking this neuroplasticity thing up. But um, uh, guys are lonely and they're yeah, they not are. good about having community. And there's the age old, like, don't be a bitch, you know, this, I mean, you know, uh, you know, just shoulder the wind, keep moving, you know, don't let anything bother you. And you have nobody to talk to. And uh, one of the interesting things that, um, you know, like we were saying earlier about church, I mean, I don't know if people go, I mean, here in Texas, I feel like people are pretty in the church, but in California where we were at, like people started going to CrossFit gyms instead of going to church. And there was other ways that were building community. Um, but as I've told the, the, the guys that I work with, um, you know, the, the athletes I train, the jujitsu guys, I'm like, you need to do more to try to indoctrinate and bring in more dudes over the age of 40. Any guy, whenever I go to jits over the age of 40, comes in for a trial, I'm like, just don't quit. Just come two days a week. Like, the, you will end up with 25 friends that you're you right. didn't know you needed. And you're all of right. a sudden, people that are texting you, how can you show up and this? You're going to have friends. You're going to have partners. You're going to have all of these dudes that are looking for you that legitimately want you to be better. Like attracts like, yeah. right? And and really, that's what I that's what I see in our community, just like your community is, is, is everybody's showing up for similar reasons. And, and the law of attraction is real, dude. I mean, and, and how amazing is that to, to be surrounded with people that are trying to not only better themselves, but add value to your life. Yeah. Right. Um, I have a, I have a, a, a new friend, uh, who's been very inspirational in a very short period of time for me. His name's soul hook. And, uh, he, 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 he said something to me this past weekend, uh, that was very inspiring and it was, if I can't take you everywhere, I can't take you anywhere. <laughs> and I'm like, bro, did you make that up? Sounds like kids. <laughs> I'm like, did you make that? I was like, you know, it's, it's, but it's so true, right? I mean, it's, as I've gotten older, I have put more time in um, really removing people in my life yeah. and allowing space for those that want to see me succeed. Yeah. And that want to be a part of my life and add value and have meaningful conversations. Yeah. Um, and, and I, ha I have to thank the work that I've done <clears throat> by allowing me to have this awareness because when I was isolating myself in trauma, dude, I had some really toxic people in my life. Yeah. But, uh, uh, like they're the, they're like the, the people in the marching band. You know, right. like uh, they're like the drum majors that aren't playing the instrument, but <laughs> they're right. there to That's fucking right. hype people up. That's right. So when you're in a negative, bad place, right. you'll have a lot of people fucking in the marching band. Yes, you will. And then all of a sudden you get to a better place and you're like, hey, man, like you like, I don't like any of this behavior. And, uh, you know, then you end up kind of. But then what I think what happens, too, is uh, guys get married. They have kids. And next thing you know, you're working a job in here and you're isolated. And all of a sudden you do a shitty job. I mean, I am. Um, a lot of the guys that I really liked that I played in the NFL, I just haven't stayed in contact with because my life just went in a completely different direction. And I felt that uh, if I stayed really current with those guys, like I would just be another hanger on or another ex player that was just you know, there in the fucking marching band. Can't and hang up the cleats. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Oh, I'm at the fucking game. You're like a cleat this. chaser. Yeah. You're, you're, uh, I, I just didn't want to be in some, I, I just didn't want to be the someone's shadows yeah, or, or even <clears throat> like, you know, like, Hey, I'm, you know, and I purposely didn't show up for when I needed to. 
And I probably burned some bridges because there were some guys that had some amazing things I got invited to. And just this feeling of like, I don't want to be somebody in your marching band. Uh, I, I did this job. I was great. I love you as a human. Uh, hopefully we can reconnect. And uh, then, you know, for me, if I don't hear from somebody for 10 years and uh, they, they reach out or, you know, all of a sudden you get together and it's like time hasn't passed. That's right. You know, and uh, all of a sudden you're like, you're living your life and living your life, but we can still have a great conversation. That's how I know. I have friends that are like bitter, like, oh, you this, man. I'm like, dude, it's not by choice. I'm just fucking doing shit. I, you know, I got three kids. I got I a wife. I'm doing all these things, and I'm sorry I didn't do a better job of staying connected. And, uh, you know, I think the one thing that social media has done well, and, you know, our phones is texting, and I, I get like 400 memes a day from all these people on DMing and this, and it's, uh, it, it's great, but it's also overwhelming. That's right. Because, uh, you know, and you, you went back and you mentioned uh, the book Tribes. I mean, what is it, like max 150 inputs that we can absorb? It's sure. maybe less. That's right. So it's been... 10 years since I've read that book, but I do remember we have about capacity for about 150 different inputs and relationships. Like outside of that, like, uh, like there's no way. And, and even at 150, how could I handle 150? But just, and then people are like, oh, that's a ton. All you got to do is go through your text messages and count how many people that are texting like this. And I, it, I, I'm afraid to actually do this research. I'm going to, I'm going to look, I mean, in any given day, how many texts do you think you get? Uh, I'm uh, like, uh, as I'm sitting, I mean, for real, look, all right. So I'm sitting here right now. And as we've had this bitch in two hour conversation, uh, I have 32 unread ones There you go. that have just within this time. Yeah. Right. Two hours. Yeah. In two hours. So that's the amount of people. And that's right. not even Instagram or DMs that's or right. this. And it's, uh, like I went out, like I said, I did the burn pile and was doing shit all day for, from 6am till six o'clock at night on Saturday. And like you come in and you're like, there's like, you know, 400 from your wife. Yeah. Yeah. And well, she knows exactly where I am because she can see the fire, but she like, you know, and I, and she came out, which was cool and came out and like, cool. you know, hung out. But, uh, it's, uh, it's not by, for not for want, you, That's know, right. you wish you had time to invest in every single person that was amazing. But unfortunately you're kind of in this like rat race a little bit where it's like, I got to get X amount of work done so I can feed my family and keep paying bills and I got yes. a, a property to manage and, you know, podcasts to do and training and all these other pieces. And you get to the end and you're like, I remember my wife and I go to sleep every night and we're like, oh, maybe tomorrow will be less. I'm telling you. And it, it it's not. As Things kid, used, times used to be simpler. It, um, well, I, I always thought that too, with all the technology uh, and all the, the automation, everything that it would get easier. We would somehow get more time, but for all of the time saving we have, nobody has any time. Like I, you know, a friend of yep. mine, Dave Spann hit me up. He's like, Hey dude, um, you want to get a coffee? I'm like, ah, I got, come over. I'll, we'll cook you coffee. Here. I don't have time. You know, I'll, I'll make you a coffee here. I got all this shit to do. I, I don't have the time because what's funny here in Texas is uh, nothing's close. That's right. He's like, Hey, I'll meet you down at Mazama. I'm like, Ooh, it's dripping. That's a 20 minute drive. And then I'll be there for 20, you know, you're like, dude, it's two hours out of my day. I don't have time. I don't have two hours to cut out, but I need to go wrap with my friend. So then I'm like, well, if you're driving by, hit me up. I'm here. And it's just. Man, it's uh, it's hard. It sounds like such a bitch move too. As I'm saying it out loud, I'm like, I'd be listening to this, being like, "Shut the fuck up, John." Like if and uh, it's like there's people that you need to invest. We in. do our best. Well, and uh, I try to remind people, you know, especially if I haven't seen like, and I, I just, God, I'm trying to think of where I was, where I just saw somebody I hadn't seen in years, and it was just like two old friends. And I, I even told them, I'm like, dude, that's the strength of. Uh, I, I assume you're doing great shit. Fill mm -hmm. me in. Let's talk. 
mm-hmm. and we, we don't have to see each other every day. It might even be a year or so, but like, you know, when we're there, it's, That's it's, right. it's just as good as it always was. And then when I meet people that are mad at me about it, I'm like, fuck dude, I just don't have time for you to be mad at me. And I don't have the emotional capacity to effectively have you be mad at me. So I'm just going to fucking smoke bomb. And that's a shitty deal. So maybe we can get more plant-based medicine in the world. Maybe Amen. make people a little kinder, a little more gentle. I mean, I, I, I don't see a negative associated with it. Oh, no. There, I, don't, I don't either. I think uh, even challenging experiences have positive effects. Um, and I, you know, I think as long as we can really reiterate harm reduction, um, the power of intention, um, as to why we're even doing this in the first place. Um, it's, there's, there's not a negative effect. You made a great point about disassociation. And I wonder how many people are exploring these things because they want to somehow separate from the ugliness and like, Oh, my life's fucking stressful. I'll just do this as a, like a mental, lot. emotional vacation. A lot. And that's the way I kind of looked at like you know, drinking, drinking alcohol, like I've had a hard week. Let me just get fucked up. And at least I'll be able to right? erase some time. Not feel, but then it's there tomorrow. Yeah, that's a funny thing. It never fucking goes away. I know. It's like taxes and paying bills. Like every right. month, you got to pay them. That's right. So, so. If, if people want to get more information and they want to plug in and, uh, you know, they're interested, how do they go about it? Yeah, they can reach out to us um, at Heroic Path to Light. So uh, you can reach out to inquiries uh, at heroicpathtolight.org. You can email me personally, justin at heroicpathtolight.org. And then with the with the uh, introduction of our civilian program, uh, please reach out to uh, programs at illuminatedhearts.org. Would love to be able to provide access to everybody in this country uh, here legally in a a safe container, so. Sounds great, man, look forward to it. Thanks for coming. Yeah, absolutely, thank you for having me, John. Yeah, thanks for another episode of Power Athlete Radio. See ya. Hey there, Power Athlete Nation. Big shout out to all the heavy hitters who stuck around till the final whistle. If you've been soaking in the knowledge bombs and epic tales you've been dropping for free, here's your chance to be a game changer. Swing by klfi.com slash power athlete and toss a few bucks our way to keep the podcast fueled and firing on all cylinders. That's ko-fi.com forward slash power athlete. Your support makes a difference. See ya.